Hi there, I'm Daisy Torme. You might not have seen me, but you've certainly heard me from everything from Westworld to Superman and Lois to the good old days of the West Wing and ER and House of Cards and goodness knows what else, How to Train Your Dragon. I'm here with Craig. We're going to do a little Kneel Before Pod. Here we go. Kneel Before Blog presents Kneel Before Pod. Hello and welcome to Neil Before Pod, the podcast that is so far behind the news cycle that things change before we even release these episodes. Not my best intro, but here we go. My name's Craig and I'm your host for the May 2022 News Roundup. And as always, I've roped in one of the regular contributors to help talk about news and trailers and stuff. So Chris, hi. That's me. Hello. It is. It's you. It's... Your turn. Let's start with a bit of roundup of what we've been watching and any plugs that we have to do. So, Chris, what have you been watching? Since the last time I've been on, I've been quite a lot, really. Main things I've been watching, Moon Knight. I know our podcast about that. Aaron and you recorded a podcast about Moon Knight, so I won't go on about that too much. It's in your feet. It's in the feed, yes. It's in the feed. It's been downloaded to your ears directly already. Also, Picard Season 2. Craig and I went on a very, very, very long discussion about that, so won't bore you here. We'll bore you over there. Yeah, we'll bore you on that other thing that's been downloaded into your ears. On a continuing Star Trek front, I've been watching Strange New Worlds. At the moment, I've seen the first three episodes of Strange New Worlds. Enjoying it a lot. I'm kind of liking the tone it's going for and the opening feel of it. It's slightly more episodic, but it's still got a through arc. I, I, I like it. It's a nice sort of balance between the two, I think, at the moment. So enjoying watching that. I'm sure there'll be a discussion about it at some point. Other things I have been watching. Severance. I finished Severance on Apple TV+, Plus, which was fantastic. What was putting me off it was the fact that everyone was raving about it. <laughs> and it's one of those ones that as soon as everyone starts raving about a show, I'm going to go, nah, do you know what? I'm not going to end up enjoying this. <laughs> But I kind of ended up binging through a bunch of it and then watched the last two episodes, I think, as they aired. Really good show, just different. Weird and different is how I would put it down. And I don't really want to spoil it too much for people, but I felt it was really, really good. I'm really impressed with some of the stuff that Apple TV have been putting out. They're not a content monster in the same way that Disney and Netflix and Amazon are. They're not putting out tons and tons and tons of stuff. But what they have been putting out, I've really been enjoying. Things like For All Mankind and Ted Lasso, even though I don't like football, enjoyed a lot of that. And Foundation I enjoyed as well. So as much as they're not putting out tons of content, I've enjoyed quite a lot of what I've watched on it in dedicated time. So yeah, Severance, I will recommend. There'll be another one of those voices recommending a show that will convince you that you're not going to like it. I will swatch Severance eventually, it's just I've not really had time, so it's slid down the priority pile, I suppose. But I will get around to it. I do understand the basic premise, and we talked about the trailer. It might not be new, mm. I can't remember, a few months ago anyway. And I like the look of it. And Have you split yourself into a podcasting Chris and a non-podcasting Chris? Which means that non-podcasting Chris can listen to podcasting Chris and have no idea what he's going to say. 
That'd be interesting. Yeah, but see, it would be a struggle for podcasting, Chris, because then podcasting, Chris, wouldn't watch any of the TV stuff. <laughs> podcasting, Chris, would just turn up to talk about it, but having not watched it, he would probably be more prepared than I am. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know how it works. They must have skills, right? So they must retain something. I don't know. I yeah, they don't massively go into it. The first episode, I'm not really spoiling anything, but it does go through one of the characters waking up on the severed floor for the first time. So they know how to talk. They know how to walk, everything like that. They don't wake up as a baby, essentially. But they do not know why they're there or where they are or what their name is. It's that kind of level of discombobulation when they first wake up on the seventh floor. So yeah, it's an odd show, and don't go into it expecting absolutely everything in this to be explained and contained. There's definitely things left hanging, but I've never felt so much suspense than I did between the final two episodes. It's one of those ones where your is it your heart is in your mouth. Is that the way to say it? That's a saying, yes. That's a saying. That's the way to say the saying. The entire time, it was just fantastic television in that way, and just a different concept. You see a lot of the same things getting repeated in sort of similar formats or takes on something coming around again. But I think that it's a pretty unique show in its concept. And just really, really well done. So do recommend. My friends over at We Made This have a podcast about severance. It's one to check out if you've watched the show. I think it's called Illumination Above All, which must be a reference from the show. The link will be in the show notes. Go check it out. They're raving about it and they made a podcast about it. So good for them. (laughs) Raving podcasters. Who'd have thought about (laughs) it? As opposed to sweepingly negative podcasters as some of us baby. We're back to that Picard episode again, aren't we? Yeah, we really are. Anything else on your viewing machine? Obi-Wan has started at the time of recording. The first couple of episodes of that have gone out. I am interested in it. I am enjoying what I have seen so far. It's only six episodes long, isn't it? Yes, we've seen a third of it. Seen a third. I'm interested in seeing where it's going and how it's all going to tie into everything else. It seems a challenge to shoehorn this show in, and I think we've <laughs> talked about that before. There's a very limited bit of canon and words that have been said and other things that sort of go, eh, can you get away with this or not? I'm interested to see how they walk their way around that, but whether they will, I don't know. <laughs> it's either by the end of this, the fandom will hate it, or by the end of this, the fandom will love it, as either or. Yeah, it's a funny thing with... Star Wars canon, isn't it? Because a lot of people put a lot of stock, myself included to be fair, in a few lines that were said in a film that wasn't expected to be anything more than that film was. So those little bits of dialogue became so enshrined in canon when someone else comes along and wants to tell a story that surrounds it. Am I going to be sullying this one line of dialogue that people have built an entire backstory around that if I tell a story counter to the one they're expecting, are they going to lynch me? (laughs) I don't think I would to that extent. I've seen enough Star Trek mess with its own canon to be a bit desensitised to it by this point. But it is quite funny that there's a couple of lines of dialogue in the original Star Wars movie that people pitch their tent on and just think, yeah, this is irrefutable canon. And the fact that you're doing this story means that you've betrayed it in some way. (laughs) If you change this one line, you've ruined everything. Yeah. Otherwise, say too much in case people haven't seen it. But there's a couple of things, yeah. Yes. I know what, exactly what you're talking about in those two episodes that people might get a bit antsy about, but it didn't really bother me as such. It might bother me more as the show continues. I don't know. I sat through it, though, which is something that I haven't done with the other Star Wars shows so far. 
it definitely does enough to draw you in and I can see why they've released those two episodes together because I think if they had just released the first episode it might not have gone down as well. Imagine having to wait not even a week for the next one. (laughs) Exactly. I think they did the right thing by doubling up those first two episodes and putting that out. I think that did make a bit of sense. The other thing that appeared on streaming this week at the time of recording was Stranger Things which I've watched an episode and a bit of because they are some long episodes. The only bit that I'm struggling with with Stranger Things is those kids have grown up. (laughs) It's strange what happens happens. over real time to actors, isn't it? But yes, the kids are still at school. They do not look like they should be at school to an extent. They've tried their best. It's very, very funny. But I'm enjoying Stranger Things. It seems to have gone a bit darker, a bit more horrific in some of its graphic imagery, I would say, from my take of the first episode in a bit. But they've still got the good 80s aesthetic, the 80s music in there. And I've got Shazam open the entire time so that I can <laughs> steal ideas from a show on a Sunday. All people seem to be talking about when it comes to Stranger Things is how long the episodes are. Look how long these things are. There's actual news reporting, isn't it? The finale of the season, like two and a half hours long. Yeah, it's the length of films. I think it's because people are used to binging stuff on Netflix. They would sit quite happily and watch four episodes back to back but being told that one episode is two hours odd long makes them throw their hands in the air (laughs) it's a weird quirk if they had broke it down into four bits would people have been any less surprised i don't know it seems a bit odd but it might make sense it might be that it's shot almost like a film that episode and if you were to take a part of it like halfway through and go right and then stop and roll credits that people would be equally as annoyed at you breaking it up. I don't know. To use an analogy, it's like cutting a steak and eating it gradually or just putting the whole thing in your mouth that could be a bit more daunting that way. I don't know. The analogy's not very good. But it's a bit like that. I like that they're making us wait for some of it now, though, where they're releasing maybe four episodes, having a little gap, releasing another couple, having a gap, releasing another couple. I think it's, it's a nice way to let people catch up and then speculate for a little bit and then get on with it again. I think that's a neat way of doing it. Yeah, I suppose. I'm never a fan of the Netflix dump it all at once approach. To me, it just makes it kind of inaccessible, especially if you want to be part of the conversation, which I rarely do, to be honest. But if you want to be part of the conversation, you have to really have seen it in its opening weekend. And if you don't have the time to do that, people have moved on by the next week. It's done by that point, isn't it? It's Stranger Things. Yeah, that was two weeks ago, whatever. Yeah, I'm done it already. Completed it, mate. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So I much prefer the week-by-week approach. It's much more my speed, especially if I'm reviewing something, as if it's all at once, then no, no, not for me. Mm. Some things I do just watch them on pace just to enjoy them, so that's fine. And then, as I say, I don't really care if I'm part of the prevailing conversation on the internet. Although when I do talk to people about it and I say, oh yeah, I'm on episode four, and they're like, I don't know what one that was, because they just consumed it as one giant thing. (laughs) Episode four, (laughs) what one's that? I don't know. Have you seen this happen yet? No, thanks for spoiling (laughs) (laughs) has this person died yet yeah no they're still alive (laughs) oh oops sorry mate sorry buddy (laughs) pretty much yeah (laughs) anything else reacher i watched on amazon ended up getting quite into it that was a binge watch for me i watched that pretty quickly after me saying that i like things coming out with little gaps that was one that i rattled through pretty quick quite enjoyed that i've not read the reacher books so I'm not a Reacher scholar like some people are, but yeah, I thought it was all right. As a watch, as a show, I was like, yeah, I enjoyed that. I'm up for more of that. So that was good. And casual catch-up wise, I've been watching How I Met Your Mother. 
It's on Disney Plus. It's short episodes, so if I've got 30 minutes before I'm due to record a podcast with Craig, I could put on an episode of How I Met Your Mother. Mm. And I don't need to sit there and take notes or do anything like that. I can have it on the background if I'm cooking dinner or whatever, so yeah. But then you find yourself taking notes and you're like, I've got pages of notes about How I Met Your Mother. Why? <laughs> yeah, I've accidentally written an entire podcast worth of notes about How I Met Your Mother. This is bad news. <laughs> I've not watched the sequel I guess, to call it. The How I Met Your Father show, I've not watched any of that, despite the fact that because I've been watching How I Met Your Mother, every advert analytical engine is trying to throw it in my face. Yep, that'll happen. But now I refuse. Cookies have got nothing on me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm not going to bow to the algorithm. It doesn't control me. <laughs> That's when it does control you the most, when you think that it doesn't. That's when it's got you. That's when it's got you, yeah. So, shall I move on to my watchings? Yes, now that I've bored everyone with a massive list. Well, I know there'll be a couple on here that you didn't mention that you will be able to say it. But yeah, I've seen that too, but we'll get there. I've too been watching Strange New Worlds and really enjoying it. Reviews are on the website. I've reviewed the first four, which is all that is available at the time of recording. But yeah, really enjoying it. I like the feel of it. I like the characters. It's got an old school Trek feel, which is something I really enjoy. So, yes, very good there. We will podcast about it at some point. I have been watching, just for my own amusement, The Time Traveller's Wife, which is the TV adaptation of a book I really like. And I think the TV adaptation did a really good job. I didn't realise until I started watching it that Stephen Moffat's involved. He's the executive producer. Eagle-eyed listeners who like Doctor Who will know that Stephen Moffat essentially ripped off The Time Traveller's Wife, or was inspired by, I guess is the term that you should use, he was inspired by that for the River Song character. The idea of a marriage or a relationship occurring out of order for both of them, with them meeting in a jumbled up order. So that's what the story is. And it's really good so far. Rose Leslie's in it. She's really good in the show. Theo James, he's pretty good as well in the lead role. And it's quite creative in the way that it handles the time shenanigans. So definitely worth a watch. It's something I actually look forward to. And I quite like that I'm just, on a Monday night, just pop on an episode and just... Enjoy it. So that's what I'm doing. Still watching The Flash. There are four episodes remaining at the time of recording. And they have said that next season might not be the last one, which really sounds oh like a God. <laughs> <laughs> You're cancelling everything, CW, which we'll talk about later, but not this. Come on. Enough is enough. Haven't I suffered enough? And yes, I know I don't have to watch it, okay, but... I kind of have to watch it. There's a weird compulsion. You're a completionist that way. Yeah. It's taken up nine years of my life at this point. Obi-Wan, we've already talked about kind of. I don't want to say too much because it's too new. We will do a podcast yes. about it when it's finished, though. Maybe. Depends on time. But that's been it for TV. Superman and Lois has been off for a while. It's back this week at the time of recording. Still watching that. I've been watching that also. I've been recommending that to everyone. I've been really enjoying that. First season's on BBC iPlayer. If you're in the UK, go watch it. Season two will probably appear sometime next year on BBC iPlayer. That's me for TV, really. The Boys starts soon. Hasn't started yet at time of recording. We'll be watching that. Movies-wise, I saw Firestarter, which I thought was atrocious. Don't really have much to say about it. It's just very, very bad. Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. You also saw that twice. I also saw that twice. <laughs> <laughs> yes. There was an unexpected early screening that we got into and we'd already booked with Aaron to go see it that second time. So we saw it twice. There's a podcast that I've recorded with Aaron, but it hasn't been edited yet because I have to do this first. So 
I agree, Spock. That's terrible, and it should be up already. So that'll appear eventually, but that's in the editing suite on the subject of multiverse. I saw everywhere all at once, and I know I'm going to get lynched for this next comment, but I didn't care for it. It wasn't for me. I understand why people would like it, but it just wasn't for me. I wasn't keen at all. So send your angry letters. That's one that I am wanting to see, and I've not had the chance to go and see yet. Well, I'm in a minority opinion on it, so you might like it. I don't know. And finally, on the film front, Top Gun Maverick, which again, we saw a bit early, actually, because of an expensive regional premiere screening where we got to watch Alex Zane interview people on the red carpet, which was delightful but the film itself was great i really enjoyed it i was expecting a big nostalgia fest a frustrating nostalgia fest but it wasn't that fortunately i loved it i thought it was really good yeah as someone who to my shame now we'll get more people shouting the podcast i've never seen top gun (laughs) as someone that had never seen top gun i was still able to go into it and really really enjoy it they do the right amount of setup and flashbacks and things to basically tell you everything that you need to know also top gun is one of these things in the cultural lexicon a lot of it's known already so they don't need to do that much i ended up really enjoying it i think the action's done really well i think the characters are done really well it treads the nostalgia line perfectly between fitting in old songs or little moments and things throughout i just thought it really tread the line well i'm glad i got to see it at the cinema i can see exactly why they were campaigning to don't you dare put this on on streaming services yeah. first if you get the chance go and see it on the big screen with as big rumbly speakers as you can get for aeroplanes taking off and landing. It's one of those things that makes you sit there and be a kid and go, I want to be a fighter pilot. (laughs) (laughs) Up until you start seeing them doing very high G manoeuvres and then you go, I couldn't be a fighter pilot. Good film. Well done. Yes. The thing about the original Top Gun is there isn't much plot. So if you haven't seen it, then there's nothing really to miss as such, especially when you, as you say, know the cultural osmosis side of it. It's pretty ubiquitous so fair enough it's easy enough to latch on to i don't really like the original top gun that much there's another lynch point for me i'm just gonna get people coming after me everywhere on this one (laughs) you don't like everything everywhere all at once and top gun oh my god kill him (laughs) his opinion is invalid but yes it's very good i do want to see it again as well just to take it in not in 4dx though as people have been suggesting i really do not want to get thrown around the cinema to be fair it might be the ideal film for it but I'm not going to find it. I think it would need to be on like a 360 degree gimbal if you wanted to see it in 4DX. I don't think 4DX is enough. No. You need like a full simulated cockpit. You just need to be in a flight simulator. That's what it is. Yeah, that's it. Full blown flight sim. Just play flight simulator. They have released a Top Gun update, Microsoft Flight Sim. I did read that, yes. I know you joke, but they have done it. <laughs> yeah. Anything to plug then before we move on to our trailers? No. Just the usual on the radio, Black Diamond FM, Sundays, 12 to 2, blackdiamondfm.com. And I pop up on many, many podcasts on this here feed. And Lave. And Lave, oh yeah, of course. I do tech on Lave Radio Tuesday nights from half eight until normally around about half ten-ish. Laveradio.com if you want to check that out. If you're into Elite Dangerous or Space Sims, Flight Sims, then you can check that out. There you go. Not every Tuesday, but definitely some Tuesdays. I'm on tech some Tuesdays and I'm normally in the background playing the game most Tuesdays. Or attending preview screenings of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Well, who could turn that down? Sorry, Leif. That was only the ones, to be fair. It doesn't happen every week. (laughs) In some multiverse, maybe it does. 
let's just move on. Let's do some trailers. So I'm going to sit back and just listen to you for these first two because I haven't seen any prior seasons of either of these TV shows. So watching the trailer would just be me scratching my head going, who's that? What is going on? What is this about? Let's start with Westworld Season 4. What do you think of the look of this? I know you've been quite critical of Westworld in the past. You always talk about how the season starts off well and then falls off a cliff. So I wonder if you're expecting this here. We should shout out friend of the show, Daisy Tormey, as a voice in this show as well. She's the voice of the city, whoever that is. Yeah, she's a city AI in Season 3. Yeah, I really enjoyed Season 1. And then Season 2 and Season 3 were a bit of a mixed bag for me for Westworld. It has some really good highs and then it has some really bad lows a lot of big concepts and things in there this trailer it doesn't really reveal much about the next season it's lots of character shots about people who are returning it showcases the amazing cinematography that this show has got it looks spectacular on the screen westworld from the first season the sweeping landscapes of the wild west of the dallas park just look stunning and even last season with them being in the real world environments they kept the cinematography big and epic looking like a lot of these hbo shows do they really shoot them well the music in this trailer as well is really really good like i say i don't think it reveals that much about what's going on this season at the end of the last season we were talking about it earlier on the algorithms controlling humanity it basically ended with the algorithm that was controlling humanity destroyed so the world could erupt into chaos, it could erupt into revolt. There were tons of things that were sort of left hanging at the end of the season. So I'm looking forward to finding out what's happened, but I don't know if I'll be happy with the results, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I want to find out what's happened, but I don't know about their answers. A lot of the problem with Westworld, and it can be similar in a lot of other shows, is that they come up with these really big concepts, they come up with these really big plans, and it's based a lot on oh, this character's so smart because they've been planning this from the beginning. There's been a reason behind absolutely everything. Until you start looking at everything the characters have done, at which point you go, why did they do that? And that? And that? Could they not have just skipped this whole bit in the middle and just fast-forwarded straight to this bit? Oh, no, because you're not seeing the whole picture. No, I've now seen the whole picture. <laughs> I've now seen the whole season. Here's all these random events that have to happen in order for this plan to work. Exactly. There's a lot of that. The random events need to happen and these people need to behave this way. And we want you to be guessing, so we're just leaving key bits of plot out so we can do a flashback later so that you can get it. You're never going to guess it yourself. Yeah, because you're purposefully admitting stuff. You're not leaving us things there so that we can work it out. You've just deleted it from this show and then you're going to show us it in a flashback later. It'll be interesting to see. Like I say, trailer doesn't reveal much, but am I going to watch it? Yeah, they've kind of got me hooked, so... <laughs> the algorithm has me like me with a flash gotta be done that's it i've got to watch it now i'm committed yeah there we go next up we have the umbrella academy season three another show i haven't watched so what do you think of this trailer for the umbrella academy season three it's a rare netflix show that makes it to a third season i know it's not been cancelled yet yeah this is a show you know that i like legends of tomorrow which i'm sure we'll come to speak about a little bit later on for other purposes oh yes but this is a show that embraces the nonsense. It kind of knows that its premise is very, very silly, and it completely leans into that. They seem to have just a lot of fun making it. The music in this trailer, again, is really good. Little dance sequences from the first season of the show were very popular, so in every season since, I've just included more music and more bits and pieces in it. The last season, they travel back in time, so now they're back in the present day, inverted commas, and dealing with 
consequences. Every season of the Umbrella Academy has been a world-ending threat. The world is going to end and it's happening in a day's time, two days' time, a week's time. It's very short timescales. We've got to solve this, we've got to solve it within the next 24 hours and that's your season. And again, in this trailer, they tease... The world is ending, everything's getting erased, we've got to stop it, we're the only people that can stop it. So that's your setup for season three. There's lots of clips of stuff that makes absolutely no sense out of sequence, and I think we're only seeing things from the first three episodes or so, but it just looks like they're having a lot of fun. There's lots of dancing going on in this, so I'm up for it. They've got me. Aaron will be happy then. Lots of dancing. Yeah. I will have a look at it at some point. I keep promising that and then it never happens with all sorts of things. Yeah, I'll watch it one day. One day never comes. I'll be on my deathbed and I'll be like, I really should have watched that. It's because they're releasing so much Star Trek and Marvel and everything now. There's one a week of everything. Everything. It's never been a better time to be a geek, but also a worse time because you can't watch everything anymore. (laughs) To give Andrew credit for his reference, it's the monkey's paw wish, isn't it? We made the wish. Now we're living with it. (laughs) Yeah. Now you have consequences. (laughs) That's it. You have more content than you could possibly imagine. Okay. Next up is a trailer for something that I haven't seen, but it's a prequel to a thing that I haven't seen. So I watched the trailer just to see if it would ignite some interest in me. House of the Dragon, the Game of Thrones prequel spin-off. The trailer seems to be a lot of just listing names and then talking about taking places on thrones and things like that, which I understand is the vibe of the Game of Thrones saga, I suppose. I've never been that interested in Game of Thrones, and all I really have to say is this trailer hasn't done the trick. It hasn't got me on side. I didn't know what to make of it. I watched it and I thought, I'm not going to watch this. So that's my take. I'm still not interested in Game of Thrones. I got into the books originally. I was away with work for three weeks and I was suffering from altitude sickness. So I had the first tome of Game of Thrones (laughs) to read. (laughs) And yeah, that got me through my altitude sickness. And by the time I was partway through that, I was sort of hooked and then onto the TV shows. I thought the TV shows, while they were following along with the books, were really, really strong. I think once they ran out of book and was working from George R.R. R. Martin's sort of crib sheet, it wasn't as strong, it wasn't as smart, and it sort of fell away a bit towards the end, and I know that there's a lot of fans of the show that have fought the same, so it'll be interesting if this show has waited too long to appear, if some of that original love or faith in the show has been lost. Again, this is based on a book that George R.R. R. Martin hasn't released yet. <laughs> He's released the first volume about the history of the House Targaryen, which takes place before this show. So this is sort of filling in the bit after that. So again, it's like, oh, we're working from his notes from the book that hasn't come out yet. And that's where I go, oh no, you're doing it again. So I'm not too sure. It's got a really good cast in there. Obviously, it's shot really, really well because it's that HBO money on screen, but I'm not too sure if it's going to rope me in. I'll probably end up starting watching it, and it's one of those things, if I start watching it within a first few episodes, I'll probably end up watching the whole thing. <laughs> There's enough iconography in there. You get to see King's Landing. You get to hear the names of some characters that will be familiar from the show or for stories that have been told in Game of Thrones, so there's enough to rope people in, but I think it might have been too long, and I think some faith in this might have been lost already. Maybe, or maybe they've waited long enough for the heat to die down and people are 
Mm. Wanting this again? I don't know. Potentially, but there's still other shows that are doing something along the same lines now, so it might be too late. Who knows? Well, there's Lord of the Rings to compete with. Of course, yeah. But I won't watch this anyway. I'll say that right now. I won't even pretend that I'll give it a go. I just won't. It's not going to make my list in any way, because Game of Thrones will never make my list. So, yeah. Let's move on to something a bit different. We have another trailer for Baz Luhrmann's Elvis, where Austin Butler plays Elvis, and it's a biopic... This trailer seems to deal with the idea of him being as a more-than-human, larger-than-life sort of figure. It'll be interesting if it digs into the man behind the legend, which the trailer does give you a sense of. Austin Butler really does look the part. Tom Hanks looks kind of slimy, which is rare to see from him, isn't it? And I'm interested to see how this goes. I understand it's already screened at Cannes. You know, I haven't heard anything. I haven't seen any of the reactions, so I don't know how it went down. But I know it has already screened. As is a few of the things that we're going to talk about today on this list, at least two of them. So I don't know. I don't know if it'll be any good, but it looks pretty good. And Baz Luhrmann's probably bringing a bit of his Moulin Rouge magic to this by the looks of things. So yeah, quite interested. I'll give it a watch. It does look really, really interesting. I mean, he's an iconic character. I'm saying character. He's an iconic person, an iconic personality. So seeing that getting portrayed on the big screen, I mean, this looks... Pretty impressive as undertaking Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks is great in everything, pretty much. Can't go wrong with Tom Hanks. The only thing I would say about this trailer is I've seen both trailers. I've seen the first trailer and I've seen this one. And I did not like the weird rap remix hound dog thing that they did in this. <laughs> I also wasn't a fan of the epic dum-dum-dum drums that they were putting in. This is going to be too stressful on you, Elvis. Dun-dun-dun. I've got to do this. I'm a performer. Bum-bum-bum. No, I don't want that. You're doing a thing about Elvis. Simmer down with the orchestra for this trailer. Just a tad. So, yeah, I wasn't quite as much on this trailer as I was in the first one. But I think the film overall looks pretty good. I, I think I'm going to end up watching this. I like my Elvis music. So many songs. And they, they were all on compilation albums. He wasn't an albums person. He was a singles person. Just so many singles and then stuff that came out through the films and other bits. What a back catalogue. He's one of those historical figures that you can't believe was a real person almost because mm. the way that he is remembered is, as I said before, larger than life. It's... This was a real guy. Jeez. It wasn't that long ago he was still alive. Crazy. Yeah. This is the problem when you've got big characters like that and these legends is how do you distill a life into a film or a section of a life into a film and cover it properly or well or make it as engaging? I don't know. That's what I find interesting about this. For me, the best biopics, they cover a short part of someone's mm. life rather than the let's just do the Cliff Notes version of their life and career and whatever they did. Because then you just get individual scenes of, and then this happened, then this happened, and this happened, rather than here's a pivotal three months in their life, and that's how it defines who they are, or this is how it sums up who they are, that kind of, or how people remember them. Mm. This looks like it's going to cover a lot of his life, because you see the young days and then you see the more iconic yet cliche image of Elvis when he was older. Yeah, you see him moving towards a comeback and you've got that, I'm trying to remember what the recording was in this red studio. But yeah, you see him doing his comeback and his rediscovery, reimagination sort of thing. So it's obviously telling quite a wide story, but whether it's in the lead up to one event with some flashbacks to go through, I can't quite tell but this should be up my street really so it's one that i'm looking forward to seeing i'm not massively into elvis but i'll check it out because i think it looks interesting and one thing that andrew pointed out when we talked about the first trailer is austin butler i don't know if you remember but in season three of arrow he played the dj assassin guy that 
tried to kill Thea. <laughs> I did not remember that. <laughs> but in the Arrowverse, they had an episode of Legends of Tomorrow where Elvis appeared. Imagine they had had the foresight to cast him as Elvis in that episode. That would be impressive. They could have done it. They could have done it and they didn't. Can you remember who they cast as Elvis? Never spoke to him. Spoke to the David Bowie guy. Maybe he'll get cast in the David Bowie biopic. Legends of Tomorrow could have assembled the most awesome band in the world, couldn't they? It could have. Could you imagine? It didn't happen. They should be recommissioned just for that. Anyway, we'll cover that later. <laughs> we'll cover that later, yes. Later. Still on music biopics, we have another one called Weird, the Al Yankovic story, which stars Daniel Radcliffe as Weird Al Yankovic. This is a film made by Roku, who make films apparently. Who knew? I certainly didn't. I thought they just made little devices that you used to... I don't even know what they did, but they're little devices. You'll know what they do, but I don't. They're little stream stick things before Amazon came along with their cheaper version. Ah, okay. So you just install Netflix or something on them. Yeah, it was a little app-based platform, little... Websick, a bit like the Fire TV, basically. It was the predecessor to that. It was a small, affordable streaming stick that you could connect to your Wi-Fi, plug into the HDMI socket, and into the USB or telly, and you could watch. And it was one of these first ones that was, this is the end of cable in the United States as we know it. Everyone will be watching everything on the web. It was kind of the pioneer of that. I was the same as you. I was surprised when I was like, hang on, they're making this film? <laughs> You're making films there? But yeah, I guess... So, they're more relevant in the States, I think, than they are here. I don't even know if the platform ever launched properly in the UK. No, there is Roku TV, whatever that is. I think it's a streaming service. Well, it definitely is because they're making I think there's the app, but I don't know if the hardware ever made it over. I'm not too sure. You could probably buy it, though, and use it. Not enough for me to know, put it that way. Jeff Bezos saw what they were doing and thought, let's do that. <laughs> let's do that, but cheaper and with more content. There we go. We win. Isn't that interesting how all that works? We were just speaking about legendary, iconic characters that are larger than life. And this is another one of those, isn't it? Weird Al Yankovic. I am not a huge Weird Al fan, but I'm aware of his parodies and they're all very smart and stuff. This just looks ridiculously good fun. I love that Daniel Radcliffe is like, I made all my Harry Potter money so I can make whatever film choices I want for the rest of my life. And he looks like he's having a blast. And I am all for that. It just looks silly. It's got the silly Weird Al parodies through it. It does not look like it's taking itself seriously as a thing. So I, I think it's going to be pretty good fun by the looks of it. Well, as you know, I'm not a huge fan of Daniel Radcliffe and that opinion hasn't changed. I saw him in The Lost City and tried him quite off-putting and this, I don't know, there's not enough of it to tell me whether he's doing a good Weird Al or not. And I don't know enough about Weird Al as a person to know what his personality's like. I just know him from making mixed CDs of all these funny parodies back in the day. That's basically my knowledge of Weird Al. Oh yeah, his parodies. Because it was sort of YouTube and stuff. I know that he's done albums and things, again, a bit like Roku, mainly in the States. But the parodies and stuff made it over here online. Things like the eBay song that he did and all that popped up on YouTube here. I know he has done concerts and tours in the UK, but definitely a bigger name in the States, I would say. But, don't know, maybe this will launch him even more over here. Maybe. People will remember those little parodies and think, oh, I'll watch this. Yeah, I think people get surprised when they think it's all the same guy. Yeah, although I do remember every parody song being attributed to him, whether it was him or not. So there's that. <laughs> yeah, there was that as well. <laughs> 
Let's move on. Let's do a bit of animated DC stuff. DC's League of Super Pets. We have another trailer. I think this looks tons of fun. It's one of those things that when they announce the casting and everything, it just sounds like this is a joke, right? But no, it's serious. And it looks fun and it's taking itself just seriously enough. The Rock is Crypto the Superdog. Keanu Reeves is Batman. Could be the best Batman to ever appear in front of our eyes. John Krasinski as Superman, etc., etc. It just looks like a ton of fun. Just a bunch of animals doing super stuff. Yeah, this is another one that, like you say, isn't taking itself too seriously. Looks really, really fun. It feels like we have been talking about this on the podcast forever. And every time it appears in the notes of, there's another trailer or there's another picture of, I'm like, is this not out yet? (laughs) I do worry sometimes with these trailers, more trailers that they're putting out. It's like, oh, are you working your way through every punchline in the film by the end of these trailers? And then I'll be like, oh, all right, I've kind of seen this gag and this bit and that bit. Tends to happen with kids' movies. Yeah, every joke, every punchline is sitting there in the trailer. So by the time you watch the film, you're a bit like, oh, right, okay, I've seen this now a hundred times. I've been to the local cinema, I've now seen this, and I've seen that on YouTube, and I've seen this clip and this bit. So I like that they're getting a Marvel 4 joke in there with a hammer line. Could I not get a magic hammer? (laughs) And I hope that's licensed merchandise. did make me laugh. (laughs) official licensed merchandise proof that there's odd nuggets in there for the adults as well as the silly stuff for the kids yes i was going to say dwayne johnson wouldn't be in it if there wasn't something interesting but i already know that's a lie i don't think that's true (laughs) say that again with a straight face yeah yeah. i'll be making fun of the rock later on don't worry about it next trailer don't worry darling which is florence Pugh, chris pine Directed by Olivia Wilde. There's other people in it too. I just can't be bothered listing everybody. This looks a bit weird. Weird mystery thing. Some sort of experimental community. I got a bit of a Stepford Wives vibe from it, in a way, because it's the the women are in their place doing this and what have you. So, yeah, quite liked it. The trailer looks weird and off the wall. It might be a bit too weird. I don't know. But good cast and Olivia Wilde directing it as well. I'll give this a watch when it comes out. Looks fun. Yeah, I'm sort of with you. This looks really odd. It seems very trippy. Really, really like you're going to go on a trip through this. I like the 1950s aesthetic. I think that looks really neat. It's got the right amount of mystery in it. It's another one of these ones where you're like, okay, that should be your trailer. Don't release any more because you're going to end up ruining something. Just keep it to that. I like the sort of mystery around it. Kind of made me think of shows like Wayward Pines. The sort of, why is everyone trapped in this town? (laughs) What's going on here? (laughs) Why are we behaving this way? So I'm interested in it. It might be a bit too much for me, I'm thinking, but it depends. There's a lot of debauchery in there, isn't there? There's a bit of debauchery. It might be too trippy. It might be one of those. (laughs) It might be I come out the other end and go, I have no idea what I just watched and not in a good way. I feel like we should just recycle that comment for the next one, Crimes of the Future, because I feel like you'll feel about the same for that. I think this looks a bit too much for me, to be honest. I'm not sure if I can stomach what it's offering me. looks a bit grotesque. And to be fair, David Cronenberg, so good chance it will be grotesque. Well, he's not playing shifty characters in Star Trek Discovery. He's doing stuff like this. <laughs> I don't know if I'll watch it based on this trailer. The trailer made me just think... Mm. I finished this trailer and only because I was recording this podcast. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is creeping me out already. No, thank you. Nope, 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 nope. There's a creepy guy covered in ears. The line of surgery is the new sex. I was like, oh. And then there was someone with a zip in the middle of their stomach. And I was just like, no, 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 no. Enough. It just made me feel really uneasy. It's kind of like a horrible, uneasy sort of body horror thing. And I was just like, no, thanks. The three 
words I put in my notes are image, emptiness, pleasure. That seems to be three things that come up a lot in this. People are on distorted sense of body image and they're looking to change things. They're feeling empty, which kind of explains the zip, I suppose. And they take pleasure from it. So this surgery is a new sex thing. So yeah, I think it's already screened at Cannes. So you could probably get some reactions if you really wanted to find out what other people thought of it. But again, I haven't looked into that and I don't know if I'll watch it. It really doesn't grab me. I can tell from the fact that I really didn't want to sit through the trailer that I'm like, I'm not watching this on a big screen with surround sound and whatever on it. It was bad enough watching the trailer with headphones. So you're not going to watch it in 4DX then? Oh. oh. <laughs> no, 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 no. Moving on, we have Beast, which is Idris Elba versus a lion. No Idris Elbas were harmed in the making of this film, possibly. <laughs> Looks really intense. Like a proper chase, thriller, horror type thing, but with a lion. It's not a special lion in any way, although all lions are special. It's just a lion. But the lion proving why it's the king of the jungle. Yes. I kind of liked the beginning of this, the, uh, is it Johnny Nash? I can see clearly now at the beginning. And it's, oh, it's the light family adventure into safari, and then it turns sinister. (laughs) Oh, oh dear. It's pissed off Simba, the movie. It kind of reminded me of Crawl. It's where alligators are annoyed at one person in particular for no reason (laughs) there's lots of easier things that they could go and get at that particular point but no they want that person and that's kind of what it made me think of the lion could go after absolutely anything it wants but it wants him and his kids it's it's very (laughs) vindictive that way yeah there was a film about megan fox getting chased by a lion called rogue that i haven't seen I don't know if this is going to be in any way comparable, but it's Idris Elba fighting a lion, so it's already got my interest just on that basis alone. I wonder if the lion will win. wonder. Maybe it's related to the lion that was hunting down Megan Fox. Maybe we're going to be setting up a fighting lions shared universe. Megan Fox and Idris Elba will team up to fight a pack of lions. Imagine. A pride of lions. Turns out it's the lion from Madagascar. It's tied into the animated universe. Yeah, Ben Stiller just turns up in voices. Staying on the hunting theme, we have Prey, which is a teaser for the Predator prequel that's set, I forget what year now, I haven't bothered looking it up again, but it's set way in the past and it's Native Americans fighting Predator. It's directed by the guy that did 10 Cloverfield Lane, which is the best Cloverfield movie as far as I'm concerned. And this is just a teaser. It doesn't really show you much. You only hear the Predator, but it's a good teaser. It's effective. Yeah, I think if it's your kind of thing, it definitely teases enough. I'm not a massive Predator watcher. It might be really interesting. It's a different setting for that kind of film, so could be fascinating to watch. Hmm. Staying on the theme of fighting animals, Jurassic World Dominion has another trailer. We have our tickets booked. So we're going to see that on the 10th of June, I think it is. I think this trailer sums itself up nicely in one line of dialogue where someone says, we made a terrible mistake. The mistake being (laughs) making this film, probably. I'm not excited for this because Colin Trevorrow again, I really hated Jurassic World. Really, really hated it. And I think this is going to be more of it. It looks like the plot is Blue, the Velociraptor, has a child and Chris Pratt promises to bring that child back because he can communicate with Blue and Blue trusts him. And again, Jeff Goldblum points out how ridiculous this plot is by saying, you made a promise to a dinosaur? Don't point out how ridiculous your film is in the trailer. It doesn't bode well. The original cast being back, I'm not sure how I feel about that, especially since the entire impetus of the previous Jurassic Park films was, I am never going anywhere near any of this ever again, says those characters. And here they are, going near this thing again. So... We're getting more of that. The dinosaurs being out in the wild is in theory an interesting premise, but we saw in the last one they only released like a dozen or so of them. There wasn't that many. So how are they so prevalent in the world now? 
Yeah, I'm not too sure. I don't know if they're doing a bit of a time jump thing or if there's going to be a bit of that explained in this film. I'm trying to remember who put it on Twitter, but I'm kind of stealing their thought, which is at what point did we care so much about Blue the Velociraptor? When did we get that connection with the character? I don't feel that hooked on it. They've put a bit more into that relationship than we actually have. I'm with you on the cast. It's nice having them back I guess if this is meant to be a trilogy for well kind of thing so you're getting them in to do a last hurrah before we wrap this up. Okay I guess get them in. I don't know how involved they're going to be. If it is just a short bit of the run or if it's the whole film I really am not too sure. I think you could have done something more interesting about the world trying to survive with dinosaurs. Maybe that will be fed in more because obviously the whole thing before has been we can handle the dinosaurs they're trapped on this island so we're fine with that. The dinosaurs can do what the dinosaurs do over on that island far away from the rest of us. But now they're everywhere and there's nothing that we can do to stop it spreading. And now we've got to stand life with these predators around. That's kind of a fascinating premise for something, but I imagine it's only going to be passing glances. I don't think it's going to be fully explored, but we will see. I don't have high hopes. Like I say, the director is not someone I enjoy based on Jurassic World, which I thought was atrocious. Could be pleasantly surprised. Don't think I will be, which is basically the summary there. I did kind of enjoy the first film. It hit nostalgic beats in a similar way to a lot of other films of rejuvenated franchises. It's not a shot-by-shot remake, but it hits the familiar beats. And I think they did a more up-to-date take on it, and that was sort of smart enjoyed that but the second one not so much did we do a podcast about it i think we did no i think we just kind of talked about it here and there have we just talked about it here and there okay fair enough in my head we've done a podcast about it i think there was there was a lot of bits sitting there in the plot that just didn't make sense there was lots of elements of it that just didn't fly with me and some rapid decision making for releasing the dinosaurs and stuff without any thought gonna see it because it's jurassic park jurassic world yeah, and big screen. we've paid for tickets. And we've paid for tickets, and Craig doesn't do refunds. <laughs> it's just a hassle, isn't it? Yeah. Up next, Resident Evil, the Netflix show, because apparently we don't have enough Resident Evil adaptations on the go. We have the animated series that was released last year, I think, that I didn't like very much. We have the film that was released last year, I think it was, that I didn't like very much. And now we have this, which looks like I won't like it very much. It just looks like a standard post-apocalyptic thing. I don't care how many holographic bears you throw in my face, it just doesn't look very good. Can't we just leave Resident Evil to being a video game? That's where it's best. Yeah, I kind of agree with you there. I've never been big on the Resident Evil stuff. This, it just doesn't quite look my bag. Out of the two trailers or teasers that we watched, I kind of like the stupid one, the joy, 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 joy one. Where it flips to a minor key at some point. Yeah, it flips to a minor key partway through and then it flips back and then you've got the advertising executive going, well, we know which of those warnings we're going to put on the bottle, right? (laughs) And I was like, okay, yeah, that would happen in the real world. I'm with that. We're going to release an antidepressant, but it probably will turn you into a zombie. So it'll cure your depression but you'll be a zombie. But a zombie creature thing. We'll let marketing worry about that. You've got sort of standard apocalypse stuff, so you've got a recognisable cityscape. You've got like Apocalypse London 
in there. It looks like it's going to be flashing back and forth between the present day, inverted commas, and what has caused everything. Yeah. You've got the potential of characters from the past unexpectedly turning up in the present and vice versa. So I guess there's bits of that going on, but I don't think I'm going to get around to watching this. I will, because I like Resident Evil, but how much of it I watch is up for debate. Let's move on to George Miller's next movie, 3,000 Years of Longing. He's the guy that did Mad Max. Fury Road that everybody loved. This is about Tilda Swinton finds a genie and there's some be careful what you wish for stuff. Idris Elba's there with pointy ears playing a genie or a djinn as the actual lore goes. It looks weird and fun. Maybe not fun. I don't know. Again, it's screened at Cannes, but I have no idea because I haven't seen any of the reactions to it. I just saw it in the list of films that are going to be at Cannes. This did enough for me to give it a look because I do think it'll be interesting. Might be a bit too weird, but it might, might not be. Who knows? I really like the trailer for this. I think it looks quite interesting. There's some comedy elements in there. They sort of say the line in the film. It's kind of the having your cake and eating it thing of there's so many cautionary tales about wishes and you're making one. <laughs> there's lots of cut scenes. It's very hard to figure out what this film is going to be like because it sort of cuts between comedy present day stuff and then again there's more fantastical sequences going on in there so i think it's going to be a bit of a confusing one again like some of the films that we're talking about at the beginning it's hard to piece together from this trailer but looks curious there we go. there's a diplomatic response there yeah yeah let's move on to netflix a film called first kill which is a puberty analog quite an obvious one vampires and stuff forbidden love there's the analogue about the first kill being essentially losing her virginity or at least that seems to be the case this looks very average and probably won't be watched by me to be honest but i'll put it on the list because who knows you might want to watch it i'm kind of with you on this this looks like well trodden ground you can almost see where it's coming from it's a vampire and a hunter it's romeo and juliet it's two families that can't be together and forbidden love forbidden friendship forbidden stuff that you've seen before everywhere else and just a slightly different variation because there's killing and vampires and stuff involved so it doesn't really draw me in this the plot does center around two young women which is something i suppose oh yeah don't get me wrong there's some stuff in there but it doesn't call me to see it it feels like the kind of film that was made because the netflix algorithm combined two things that are a number of things that people like on netflix so they decide to make one film out of all of them (laughs) i don't know maybe i'm too cynical about netflix stuff but i probably won't watch this let's move on to something i will watch baymax this looks great fun i loved big hero 6 as a movie there was actually a sequel tv series that isn't this sequel tv series that was about the big hero 6 team that i haven't seen but this looks specifically about Baymax, who goes on a bit of a healing binge. He's trying to heal everybody, and they keep telling him they're fine. It's just a bit of backache or whatever. I don't need your help. Baymax is a great character, so it's great to see him again. Sharpen your pitchforks, everyone. I've not seen Big Hero 6. Mm. I've got no connection to this. It looks fun. The clips and stuff that they showed through there. The cat puncturing Baymax. That was quite funny. Yeah, watch Big Hero 6. I should. It's available on that big Disney Plus library thing, so... I might get the chance. No reason not to. Sticking with animated, we have Luck, which is a bit like Monsters, Inc., but with luck. You have Simon Pegg dusting off that Scottish accent that he'll never get to use in Star Trek ever again because they will never make another Star Trek movie with that cast. Despite the amount of times they tease it, it's just never going to happen. But it's not about that. This looks 
quite fun, I guess. It's more of an explanation of what the premise is rather than showing you too much of it. It's here's the good luck department, here's the bad luck department, here's some luck-based hijinks we can have. It doesn't give you a real sense of what it's about, but I'm okay with that. I feel interested enough in the concept. It's a bit Pixar-esque conceptually, like I said, Monsters Inc., but with luck. But it's an Apple TV Plus, so who knows how this will turn out. Yeah, it looks kind of fun. It's a weird premise. I don't know if it's luck has been generated by us all along. Oh, it turns out people can make their own luck or something. I don't know. I, I'm not too sure what the outcome of this film's going to be. Or it's a scam. Luck doesn't exist. Luck doesn't exist. If we weren't to throw $100 bills at people, those things would never happen. And it turns out that they do. I don't know. It'll be interesting. I like the idea of all the good luck, bad luck characters. Your rabbits and black cats and everything are all hanging out in leprechauns and everything are all hanging out in the luck department. Simon Pegg doing a Scottish accent. I wrote down the same thing as you. He's getting to use that Scotty voice. <laughs> it's a shame that there weren't any Scottish people around. It's a shame there aren't any of those working in Hollywood at all. Yeah, there's no Scottish people at all. No Scottish actors available on that day. It was very specific for the filming requirements. What was Jerry Butler up to? <laughs> Ewan McGregor. He's probably making Obi-Wan, but never mind. Other Scottish actors do exist. Those are just two of them. Other Scottish actors are available. <laughs> or not, as the case may be. That's why you end up with Simon Pick. Or maybe not. They're all busy. They're all booked. Outlander's got a big film schedule. That's it. Let's move on to a cult classic, Willow. I have not seen the original, but people love it and are really excited about this. So a few people in are really excited about this. Unfortunately, the Aaron summoning that happens later was before this trailer was released, but only by like an hour. So that's really annoying. <laughs> because I could have asked him about it. Maybe I'll ask him about it in subsequent things after he's watched it. Who knows? I don't know much about this because I haven't seen the original. But this looks really fun and exciting visually impressive. It seems like everybody that likes the original Willow is on board with this. That has to tell you something. I'm like you. I've not seen the original, so I can't really comment on that. Like you say, Twitter and all the other stuff sort of exploded around this and went, oh, this is brilliant. So, yeah, they seem to be happy. It looks suitably epic, yes. is what I've written on my notes. The word suitably epic. It was like, okay, that'll do. That sort of covers it. I don't really have a connection to it, but maybe I'll give it a watch. I don't know. And give the original a watch before this one. Possibly, or we'll go into it like Top Gun. Yeah, Who knows? just give it a go. Next up is back to Netflix, The Grey Man. Move over, The Rock. This is now the most expensive Netflix movie ever made. <laughs> Dwayne Johnson is on the phone to his agent right now saying, get me another Netflix movie and make it $1 more than the budget of The Grey Man. I cannot lose my title. It looks like a fairly average action movie with a really good cast. It's essentially got the Winter Soldier team in terms of writers and the Russo brothers are directing it. So the fact that it looks so average is a bit disappointing to me. And a lot of the trailer is just reminding you that they made Marvel movies. There's a lot of words that come on the screen that say the directors of Civil War and Winter Soldier and Endgame and Infinity War. It's just a big list of these guys made Marvel movies. So watch this, please. Chris Evans is a villain with a great moustache. I quite like it when Chris Evans plays outside of his squeaky clean Captain America persona. I know that's not really him in terms of his career and stuff like that, but he's so associated with Captain America now. So it's good when he jumps out of that like in Knives Out and things, where he plays a bit more of a dubious character, morally speaking. So him as an actual villain here, it does have a great cast. So who knows, maybe I'll watch this because of the pedigree associated with it. But then again, maybe I won't. I think it's one of those things that'll be a good Friday night film. You've finished work, you've had your dinner, 
going to sit down. It's a good Friday night film by the looks of it. The Russo brothers, they're good at doing their action. They've got good pedigree with that sort of thing through those films and through their workings with Marvel and stuff. Chris Evans and that, very good. So yeah, I'll probably end up watching this. And like you say, it doesn't have a hook in there that going, oh, I must watch this because, but it looks like the kind of thing that I'd happily sit down and watch if it was on. That seems fair. And it will be on. It'll be on Netflix. So all you have to do is press play. We are staying at Netflix for our next trailer, Spiderhead. One of my notes is, what is going on with Chris Hemsworth accent? Because <laughs> what is going on with it? What is he trying to do here? It has Miles Teller in it. He's on the list of actors I don't like, so that puts me off a bit. I think the general concept looks really underwhelming as well. This whole experimental medication, drug trials, all that stuff. I just find the Chris Hemsworth accent really distracting. I feel like I couldn't sit with that for two hours. Yeah, it's another one of these trippy ones, isn't it? It's another one that looks like it's going to be a bit of a weird tale. Unsanctioned scientific research or sanctioned research on prisoners. You get to stay in this fancier institution, but they're going to test you on weird drugs (laughs) and manipulate your emotions and your motives and play around with you so they can sell it off to people. It's an interesting concept, I guess. It's not one that I'm going to jump to, I don't think. Again, it's another one of these ones that I might see pop up when I'm looking for something one night and go, oh, do you know what? I'll give it a try. But yeah, I won't be bookmarking it and waiting for it to come out. Cool. Let's move on to a TV series that the CW are actually making. Walker Independence, friend of the show, Catherine McNamara, taking the lead here. I say friend of the show, she probably doesn't even remember I exist. Or maybe she does. We'd have to ask her. She'd be like, who the hell are you? Stop bothering me. But never mind. Anyway, this is a prequel to Walker, which stars Jared Padalecki of Supernatural fame. A show that I watched two episodes of and didn't like. But this is a prequel to it. If anyone's keeping score, I didn't like Walker and I don't like Westerns. So this show seems to be off to a great start on that front. But Catherine that Carrera, way. I do think it looks kind of interesting. There is the revenge narrative with misfit characters. The production values look really good. And I'm going to qualify it with for a CW show. But they look really good (laughs) anyway, regardless of where it's being made. I actually think the setting looks believable. I don't know if they're filming in Vancouver. Vancouver has any desert they can film in. I don't think it does. But yeah, looks good, I think. And the extended look at it, it seemed like it was setting up some stuff that I might be interested in. I'll give at least one or two episodes a go. It's interesting because it's that one ranch in LA that gets used for almost all the Western stuff. So if you've seen Westworld, if you've seen other TV shows and films doing Western set places, it's normally the same street that they're using (laughs) for everything. It's like that New York crossroads that they've got that you see pop up in Brooklyn Nine-Nine and How I Met Your Mother and shows like that. You're like, oh, it's that street. Yeah, CW doesn't tend to film in the US though at all they tend to be in canada so who knows yeah it's like it's that backlog it might be that kind of thing the thing i found that was interesting about this is this is an actual western so you've got westworld but westworld isn't a real western you get space westerns and you get time travel where they end up back in the westerns but it's rare that you get an actual we're making a western so i'm interested to see this just for that point of view i don't know if it's the kind of thing that i'd be watching and going so when does the time travel happen when does the spaceship land it seems interesting but realistically probably not gonna catch it but 
maybe if there's a down period between shows and stuff, I might watch a couple of episodes and see how it goes. The thing that attracts me to it is that Catherine McNamara is in it. I think she's really good in anything I've seen her in. And it was a joy speaking to her, however briefly that happened. So that's enough for me to just give this a go because I think she's really good and I think she deserves to have a hit show, even though she's already had two of them. She was in Shadowhunters where she was the lead and Arrow where she was not the lead. And then she didn't get that spin-off from Arrow that is a sin that didn't happen, but never mind. So she's got this. So good for her. I like to see her do well. I think she's deserves it. I think she's very good at what she does. So hopefully this will be a success for her. Or maybe it'll get cancelled after one season. She'll be out of work again. But she always finds work, so we're fine. Mm. She'll find something else to do to occupy her time. For the next trailer, I am going to summon Aaron to talk about the Winchesters. So if you want to stand well back so that you don't get any demon vibes near you, Demon Aaron is coming. Stepping back. Hello, Demon Aaron. I said I would summon you when there's a trailer, and there's a trailer. That is part of our deal, as far as I'm aware. Yeah, unfortunately, it's on me to remember the last part of our deal, and obviously a really rubbish crossroads demon, because I can't remember what you were supposed to do at the end of the last time. So anybody out there listening that knows what Craig was supposed to have done from the last deal, you have to remind him. It bodes well for me that you can't remember our deal, because it means you might forget to claim my soul in 10 years or so. Yeah, you're getting lucky on that one. That's always good. Okay, so we have a trailer for the Winchesters that came out as part of the big CW upfronts after they cancelled a bunch of shows and upset a lot of people. They decided to give us a look at some of the shows they are actually making, which is good. And one thing I found quite surprising about this trailer is how quickly it came out from when they cast, because they seem to have rocketed through. I know that filming an episode of TV doesn't really take that long, but it's very finished and polished and everything. It's quite a long trailer. It was longer than I thought it was going to be, actually. They do give you quite a lot of... Well, they don't give you a lot of plot, but yeah, they give you a lot to watch, given I'm expecting a minute trailer, certainly. It's a proper upfront trailer, I think they call it. It was the same for the Walker prequel, which will be talked about. But yeah, what did you think of this trailer? As a Supernatural fan, what did it say to you? What feelings did it stir in you? As a Supernatural fan, it said that I'm going to get more Supernatural, is what it said. I don't know that there's any better way of saying it than that. It didn't start out that way, though, because it opens with something that's quite serious and noir. And I know that Supernatural did do its serious moments in its drama, but they never really did a noir setup other than in a standalone episode. Yeah, as an isolated format to play with yeah, for exactly. an episode or two, yeah. But then when you actually watch the stuff that isn't Dean, it's the normal Supernatural stuff with all the normal requirements for that that you had to either like or just not watch, which we can talk about in a minute. But I think it was weird to see Dean opening with a investigative noir and I need to find this. Do you? I don't remember you saying that ever, that you really needed to know. Plus, you met both of your parents at some point in various combinations of magical shenanigans. So you just asked them, presumably. That would have been a more rubbish story than him filling out a diary in a notebook. And then again, I don't ever see Dean filling out a notebook or a diary. I just don't see him doing that. No, he worked from his dad's notebook in the first season. Yeah, but I think here they're offering me more Supernatural, but the link in through Dean is a bit weird and is just a gimmick. And that is just the way Supernatural works, though. So if you don't like it, don't watch. And if I do want to watch this, I just have to get over it. But if you're asking me what I think in long form, I will say 
I found the Dean stuff a bit weird. Yeah, my assumption when they announced this was, spoilers for the finale of Supernatural, but Dean dies and ends up in heaven. So does Sam. They're both dead and in heaven. Although Sam takes a lot longer to get there. Yeah, they die a lot. Yeah, but this is their final death, you would assume. Yeah. Until it isn't. Not exactly. But my assumption was, Dean's a bit bored in heaven, so he decides, I'm going to look in on my parents and their youth and find out what happened there. Just see them yeah. get to the point where they have me. Because that would have been a fine setup, actually. Just Dean narrating from heaven. But it seems like it's set somewhere in the midst of the run of Supernatural, where he just goes off without Sam and decides to research his parents. Yes, very weird. It's just one of those things that I say, you just have to buy into it or not, I think. But I would have preferred yours and looking down from heaven. He could have opened with, there are lots of things that I found out through the years of meeting my parents and magical shenanigans, but I never really got all the details and all the quirks, so I've decided to look back in time. Now I'm in heaven. Yeah, absolutely. Would have been perfect. Yeah. So it's a bit strange that you've got this weird interquil side of it. Mm. You know what will happen? There'll be a bunch of think pieces the first week it's out. When is the Dean part of <laughs> the Winchester set? Where does it come? And they'll probably throw in a few clues as to where it's set without actually revealing it because the supernatural writers and producers like to play with the fan base in that way. So they'll keep it cagey for a bit. But it is surprising. And I do wonder, could they just have done this without the Jensen Ackles, Dean Winchester narration? I suppose that's what sold it to the CW. Yeah, probably. Let's make this prequel series, but I'll be involved. Yeah. He's a big star, at least for them. Plus, he's still active, still working, in theory, still pulling in crowds. So it's not a bad idea from a production point of view. Yeah, it's a reasonable idea, but I was surprised. But moving on to the actual prequel side of it with John and Mary Winchester and their whole setup. What did you think of all that? What did you think of what it showed you? I liked the idea of John and Mary and having the romance as being the connector. We've seen the brothers and they want to give us exactly the same whilst making it totally different. That is the standard formula. So how are you going to do that? Well, in this case, you have a partnership that is husband and wife to be. So it does exactly what it needs to. And then you've got the comedy sidekick character, which used to be the dry humor of laughing at an angel doing weird things in a human body. And now it's a happy-go-lucky, jokey guy. Who drinks holy water out of a water pistol. Who drinks holy water. So it's the same format and it's going to work because of that, I think. Yeah. What I got from the actors, they seemed good. It seemed like they had decent chemistry. The sidekick guy, I know there's a team, but I didn't get a sense of who they were other than the holy water drinking guy. It could go either way. He will either annoy me or I'll like him. It depends. One of the two things. Yeah. But like when they introduced Cisco and Caitlin and that one episode of Arrow that they appeared in before The Flash started... I thought they were really annoying in that episode. But when I saw them in The Flash, I ended up liking them as characters. So the same thing could happen here. It's just they're giving you that weird, as you say, quirky humour with that character. And a bit of an introduction. So the first episode will be, we're going to deal with this demon. And it'll probably allude to some larger arc. One note I picked up on is, it's another season one where they're looking for dads or parents. Yeah, <laughs> it's exactly the same as what they were doing the season. That did bother me slightly. The whole idea of keeping it the same whilst changing everything, I know you can't get rid of that. That is just the way they're going to make money. I do understand that, but you do have to commit a little bit to the changing everything part. So you can have a partnership, you can have the comedy sidekick, and you can have the arc, as you say. But I would rather they hadn't just copied it completely of going and searching for somebody. That could have been anything. It could have been 
any threat possible. But now we have to go and find a family member because it's all about being in the family. Is it? No, <laughs> you've got plenty of family stuff in there already. You didn't need to do it. So there is a danger for me based purely on that, that they are going to get a bit lazy with it. And they are really going to just rip off the previous Supernatural. That will be the thing I'll keep an eye on the most as I watch it. We discussed this last time, but one of the issues with this is if they want to maintain the prequel nature of it, there's only really so far they can take the threats. Yeah. Because angels and things like that weren't encountered until Sam and Dean found them. They did a lot of firsts. There was a lot of things are changing in ways that no one could have predicted, and we haven't seen any of this before. Because that's what you need to do to sustain a series. That's why you're watching it, because they're out with the routine and things are changing. But in this, it almost lends itself to just being routine the whole way through. There'll be certain things they can't encounter or can't encounter without being canon-breaking in some way. If they stick to Monster of the Week and then just keep the overarching plots to be the demons, then it'll be fine. I don't believe for a second they will do that. I think they'll find another massive universe-ending threat. And it just happens to be a different one, except because it won't be. But I really don't trust them not to, I'm afraid. You'll have Dean saying, I never realised that my parents encountered angels before we did. I can't believe they never mentioned that to us. I can't believe that my mother acted like she'd never met an angel before when she first met Castiel. Exactly. They'll probably do things like that. It looks good. Like I say, I like the chemistry between the two leads. The setup is interesting. Coming back from Vietnam and getting launched into another war that he never knew existed. I quite like the slapsticky nature of they're not in sync early on, where John kept hitting her by accident. I like the concept of that, where they're not in sync, but I thought that was a cheap joke, poorly done, actually, because he's a soldier. The one thing he should be able to do is fight. What I would have preferred is he tries to fight using human means, and the demons just push him away because they are stronger than that. So I think they picked a cheap joke that doesn't make any sense. But Supernatural's always done that. You obey the plot force, the plot force controls everything. It's a conceit. So you either accept it or don't. But it's such a shame because what they could have done is he runs in, hits the demon in the face, and the other two are just holding their head in their hands going, that's not going to work, you idiots. <laughs> you don't know anything. They've already got a built-in unknown, a built-in newbie nature to him, and they just ditched it in favour of a cheap physical gag so it's the same thing if they do their slapstick and their plot force well i won't notice but if they keep to the cheap gags then i'll turn off i think maybe the final episode will flesh it out in more detail it could be refreshingly old school in a way in terms of how they have to deal with the threats because they don't have their kill all weapons or they shouldn't have in this prequel as you got later on in supernatural okay we've got angel blades and we've got demon killing blades and we've got infinite ammo for the cult all that stuff and this it's Back to the let's salt and burn the bones, let's exercise this demon, whatever. They're going to have to work at it, which is something we've all seen, I suppose, but I don't know if the audience for this is people that haven't seen Supernatural or much of Supernatural. The presence of Dean seems to be for us, to get us in, and I guess convince us that it's doing something different. Because if it is advertised as, it's just going to be Supernatural again, so you're just going to start from scratch, learn it all, deal with all the exposition with all the lore you're going to get taught this all from day one but we'll stop before we get to angels and stuff because we can't have them yet then there might not be a lot for people that have watched it for 15 years for those of us that are that old to watching back it will give us a return to the previous 
for the new. It is a generation past, so they will be able to enjoy it from the beginning again. So I think if they do stick with Monster of the Week, like I said just a minute ago, then that will be good for everybody. But I think they'll quickly get the old school people coming back saying, no, it's a bit boring. I've seen this all before in the previous. And then they'll just immediately change it and they'll ramp it up. I think it'll be okay to see Supernatural as was, but I don't think it'll last. I've seen too many series have to change after the first season. Yeah, and you'll have encounters with the yellow-eyed demon before they are supposed to encounter it and stuff like that. I wonder how they'll factor in the time travel side of it that we know happened in Supernatural, Dean being there when he bought the Impala and things like that. Well, that'd be cool to see it. I'd rather than play with that and do it cleverly, but we'll see. Jensen Ackles is there, so it'd be easy enough to film it. Exactly. In theory. One last comment I have is the van is very much the A-Team van. It even looks like it with a pattern on the side. All right. I didn't notice that, but frankly. Where it does the turn and hits the demon. It's got the stripe. It's a different coloured stripe. It looked like an A-Team van. So maybe there's going to be a bit of an A-Team vibe to this, which could be interesting. Yeah, maybe. Rather than a Western vibe, I guess, is super... Well, not I guess. That was very much what they described Supernatural as, as a modern Western. They ride into town, deal with a problem, and ride out of town. That's what they do. But in this, it could be the A-team. Fine, yeah. Change everything whilst keeping it the same, give it a flair, yeah. If you can find the demon hunters, you can call them and deal with your threat. So, yeah. Interesting. Looking forward to it, actually. I remember not being so enamoured with it when it was first announced, but actually seeing footage makes me think, yeah... I could do another 15 years of this. I'm not sure I will, but I'll watch it and then we'll see how it goes. I'm not quite enthusiastic yet, but only because of production teams, not because of the the show itself. The show looks fine, probably will enjoy it, but we'll see if I'd watch it to season two. Fair enough. Okay, so shall we sign off on this deal and then we'll see if you remember to claim my soul in a decade. I'm going to go back and check my records. Yeah, that's what's needed. Okay, Aaron is left now. You're safe. He will not claim your soul this time. But as a brief thing, I've already said what I'm going to say about the Winchesters. Did you watch this trailer? And if so, what did you think of it? I know you haven't seen Supernatural, which is quite an achievement, considering how long it allowed Yeah, there's a lot of Supernatural to watch. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of it you somehow didn't manage to see. I know. That was probably something that I should have watched during our lockdown, isn't it? (laughs) Instead of re-watching stuff for the umpteenth time, what I should have done is sat down and watched Supernatural. I had no excuse, really. People have raved about it for ages and ages. This trailer, it looks sort of interesting. It looks like a lot of the CWE kind of stuff that we normally watch. It didn't do a lot to properly hook me in. It sort of feels like stuff that I've seen before. Just through multiple monster hunter shows vampire hunting shows or shows with vampires and demons and things and maybe i'll give it a chance maybe i'll be that person who hasn't watched (laughs) hasn't watched the original stuff i understand from everyone else talking about it that there's lots of potential for crossovers with people from the other show because there's time travel shenanigans and whatnot through supernatural so it'll be interesting to see how they tow that line supernatural has done everything yes yeah (laughs) i mean it did have 300 episodes to do everything it had a lot they did a lot in 15 years let's put it that way and for me it looks like supernatural already said it to aaron and there's lots of potential for it to breach canon like we were talking about with star wars but we'll see i'll watch it because i love supernatural and they finally got a spin-off it only took three attempts 
well done. And all it took was for Jensen Ackles to say, fine, I'll still be involved. That was the bit I got from this, is that it's sort of a narration in yes. the present day going back to the past. So is he going to be through every single episode? Is it going to be like a present day story tying up with the past? Who knows? Who knows? It's all to play for. <laughs> Let's move on. We have the long-awaited, long-gestating trailer for the sequel to Avatar, Avatar The Way of Water. It doesn't really show you much, but it's visually stunning. And I know a lot of people have written this off as a bit of a joke, as in he's making another three of these or four of these or however many it is, it changes every week. But he's making a lot more of these. Why? Then people say that they didn't like the first Avatar. But statistically, you probably did because it was the highest grossing film of all time for a long time. Might still be. Actually, I don't know. It depends when they re-release it. They'll definitely re-release it before this comes out and it'll cross the line and beat Endgame again. They're just going to keep jockeying for position for the next few years. <laughs> it's time for an Endgame re-release just to push us over the line there. But like I say, this doesn't show you much. But don't bet against this because James Cameron has a talent for making people turn up to the cinema in their droves. So I wouldn't be surprised if this ends up being a huge deal. But the original Avatar is an interesting concept in a way because, all right, it's not original conceptually, as in it borrows from a lot. Everyone talks about being Fern Gully or Dances with Wolves, that kind of thing. It is that story, but it's an original property, as in it's not directly adapted from something, and it's science fiction, and it made more money than anything else it ever made at that point. Yet it has no cultural footprint. No one really talks about it as being this massive thing. So it's a bit of a strange entity in that way. But I do think that come this Christmas, people are just going to flock back to the cinema and see this. Yeah, I definitely think people's curiosity will get them watching it again. Avatar was one of those things. One of the reasons that it made so much money is people went back and saw it in multiple formats. People went and saw it first in 2D and then got told, no, 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 see it in 3D. And then went and saw it in 3D and then got told, no, see it in IMAX 3D. <laughs> I was one of those people. I ended up seeing it, I think, about three or four times when it was out in the cinema, and it is rare for me to do that with a film. But it was one of those things where I went and saw it, and then someone said, oh, I've not seen it yet. Do you want to go again? And I was like, okay, but can we do it in 3D this time? And then the next time it was, we're going to go through to Glasgow to see it <laughs> in the IMAX. It was that kind of thing that was going on at that point, and it made all the money. I agree with you. It's weird, the lack of cultural footprint that it had it's still talked about to an extent but normally as oh it was the highest grossing or will this film top avatar but it very rarely comes up as oh this was a success because or all the toys or all the merch or all the video games that have been generated from it because it, it came out and then nothing happened it went silent and then after that it was oh and by the way we're making more oh we're making free more of these things and it seemed to be waiting for the technology again to get good enough and that seemed to be what delayed Avatar originally was, oh no, we want the technology to catch up so that we can do this the way we want to. And it seems with these films again, they've went, no, 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 we want the technology to catch up again so we can do this. Like you say, it looks stunning. It doesn't give you a ton of what the plot's going to be. You sort of see some military-looking avatars now. You see that they've adopted a human kid. So there's lots of interesting dynamics that could be at play there. I do think that people will be reminded about the original. I think it's sort of become one of these weird things where folk will go and back and bash Avatar as if they all hated it originally and no one ever enjoyed it. And why did anyone ever go and see this film? Pa, you wouldn't have caught me watching it. And it's like, well, yeah, you, you did. <laughs> you have seen it. You probably saw it a couple of times. Okay, you're now looking back and you're giving it a bit of a kicking. 
but it did not get to that position by accident. It was a success. I think there's maybe a little bit of, has it been too long? But I think curiosity is going to get people going back in. I think folk getting reminded of what they liked about the original and the fact that it was visually something that you wanted to see at the cinema will drag people back in. A bit like we said about Top Gun at the top of the podcast, this is something that you want to see at the cinema. I imagine Avatar will be one of those as well. You will feel cheated if you then watch this on your TV in six months' time, nine months' time, when it pops out on Blu-ray or whatnot. When you watch it on your phone. Yeah, you watch it on your phone, on the bus, into work. (laughs) You watch it on the back of an aeroplane headrest, (laughs) and you will feel slightly cheated out of this film. Yeah, it's not the way that it was intended to be viewed. Not quite what the filmmaker had in mind as they were lining up those shots and spending all the money on the special effects was the aeroplane headrest. (laughs) On a crappy LCD screen on the back of an airplane seat. That's the way to enjoy this. With occasionally white text popping up going, watched on British Airways. (laughs) (laughs) So that you don't film it off the back of the headrest all the way on your flight to America. I've been holding back on re-watching the original Avatar because I know it's going to come out in cinemas either as a double bill before we see a midnight screening of this at Christmas time or at some point before this film comes out or both. Because I do want to re-experience it on an IMAX screen rather than at home. Mm. The Blu-ray looks stunning, but I'm waiting because I know it's going to come out again. There's no point in me watching it at home because I know I can get that experience again. That'll be an interesting double bill if they do it. It will also be like five hours, two and a half of which will be after midnight. Moving on, Star Wars, there's a trailer for Andor, the Cassian Andor prequel series that nobody asked for. To me, it looks tonally very similar to Mandalorian and Boba Fett, therefore probably not for me. There isn't an awful lot of Andor in this trailer. In theory... I like the idea of showing the brutal life of being a rebel against the Empire. You get a bit of that in Rogue One, like where there's someone that's going to be a bit of dead weight, so Andor just shoots them because not shooting them means that they'll both get caught. Stuff like that. You might get to see a lot more of that in this. Apparently it is going to be a bit more about the Rebel Alliance than Andor himself. He's going to be your point of view character, but it's going to be exploring how the Rebel Alliance does stuff. And sometimes it ain't too pretty, but... The two seasons that have been commissioned will build up to just before Rogue One, I think, uh, has been announced. So, I don't know. Am I going to enjoy this? Probably not. Will I watch maybe an episode or two? Probably. But I really wish they would branch out tonally with these Star Wars shows. And it doesn't seem like they're keen to do that. Yeah. I have the feeling it's some of the characters that they've picked or the stories that they've picked to tell as well kind of fit a particular tone. I would say this is one of the ones that I'm kind of interested in because it's a little bit different. There's not really a well-established character that they're going back and revisiting. I really liked Rogue One when it came out. I think it was one of my one of my favourites of the newer films that they've done because it filled in this interesting blank in the story without being too overfacing, without rewriting tons of canon there's slight inconsistencies when you go between the ending of rogue one into a new hope but overall i liked it and cassian andor was one of the more interesting characters in there he has the line about a lot of us have done things that we're not proud of for the right reasons this is our way of atoning we're happy not coming back this is a sacrifice for the right 
cause for the right reasons i will never forgive him for killing off daniel mays at the beginning of the film because i was like i like that guy he's really oh he's dead <laughs> i like that actor oh i look forward to seeing what they do with oh he's gone wait till his prequel series he could turn up in andor you know he's not dead yet finally retribution for daniel mays the bit i liked about this it's not a desert planet <laughs> first point for andor also you're getting to see a different side of society the little bits of the upper or the ruling class that you're getting to see, the little glimpses of someone who seems to be the rebel sympathizer on Coruscant, or at least a planet that seems similar to Coruscant that you're getting through there. I don't know what the character's name is. I'm sure it's probably on notes somewhere, but seeing little flashes of that, I was like, okay, that is an interesting side that we do not see very often. That's a little bit of society you got a little bit of that through last jedi but not tons and you've not seen it explored through the tv shows so yeah i get what you're saying about tone i also get the whole thing of oh it's tatooine again so it's nice not being because the whole thing about tatooine was meant to be oh it's the planet that no one ever visits it's out on the outer rim it's way out the way no one ever thinks about it. It's just off there. And then it turns out it's the centre of everything that's going on. If you're going to look for someone, just try Tatooine first. Just rule it out. <laughs> They're probably there. It's probably that one. You know the last drawer that you normally look in when you're looking for stuff? Try that first. <laughs> then look for your keys hanging up on the key hook. But first, try Tatooine. Try the Tatooine drawer. It's probably there. So I'm kind of interested in this i've enjoyed a lot of the star wars tv stuff i know that you've not liked the tone through a lot of it i've got my reservations with it there's certain marketing things and bits about shows that i'm like well you could have done this slightly differently but overall i've enjoyed them at least on this one they won't be able to turn it into an episode of the mandalorian in the middle of the season for no reason <laughs> maybe they can baby mandalorian they seem to be doing baby everything else, so why not? You would be born by this point. I don't know. There's still time for them to pull the trick of a cute younger character appearing within the first episode, but not being in any of the marketing materials and stealing the show. Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> or maybe we won't. I don't know. Anyway, moving on. We have a trailer for this is one being a bit of a mouthful. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 of 2. So we have that. Basically, it's a trailer of, look at Tom Cruise trying to kill himself for two minutes. And I'm all for it. There's nothing I can really say about it other than I love the Mission Impossible movies in this new era of Mission Impossible movies since the fourth one. I think it's great just seeing Tom Cruise just do more insane stunts every time. And this looks like more of that. It looks like Fallout, but on acid. So yeah, all for it. Can't wait. But I do have to wait because it's a year away. Yeah, I'm with you on this. I'm really looking forward to it. The recent run of Mission Impossible stuff has just been fantastic. I do not know. I've listened to at-length interviews with Chris McQuarrie about filming the Mission Impossible stuff and trying to top the stunts that they're doing just seems like, well, again, an impossible task. <laughs> How do you manage to come up with this stuff? And it seems that a lot of the time it's Tom Cruise going, what about if we drove a motorbike off of that or jumped off of that or climbed that? And it just happens. You get to see the big steam train crash that they recorded in Wales, I think like two years ago, they filmed that <laughs> sequence of the train going off in a quarry in Wales. That just looks spectacular. And then obviously that final shot of the trailer, the motorbike off a cliff. It seems ridiculous that Tom Cruise does all these stunts and immediately folk will just go, yeah, but CGI though, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> CGI, they didn't actually get Tom Cruise to do that. And I think that's why they always release footage of him actually doing these stunts. So that folk just don't sit there and go, oh yeah, it's just CG. Yeah, it'd be easier for them to do CG. 
Imagine how much it costs to ensure a Mission Impossible movie. Well, there's that thing where Tom Cruise has to foot the bill for it himself because no one will insure him because he's a lunatic. So there's that to consider. But yeah, he throws himself fully into these and it is about how can he cheat death this time? Actually cheat death this time. It looks like it's going to be insane. So really keen for that. And then what's part two going to be? I feel like this is Tom Cruise bowing out of the franchise. That's why they're doing the big two-part finale in a way. So maybe he'll be handing the keys over to Jeremy Renner or someone, or someone younger than that as well. So we'll see how that shapes out. But yeah, they're really good. It's great for movies. It makes sense for them to be filming it back to back because Tom Cruise, as much as he is invincible, is not getting any younger. He's nearly 60, Um, for God's sake. Yeah, there's only so long that you can do this stuff. And I think filming it back to back is I'm getting this out of my system and out of the way before I'm not able to do it. So yeah, if this is the send off, then I hope it goes out with a bang, a massive explosion. Yes. Okay, let's finish our trailer conversation with a couple of Marvel trailers. So first we have She-Hulk, and let's address the elephant in the room, the CGI. Yeah, it doesn't look great, but also it doesn't really bother me. I'm pretty sure that won't be the final render, although it does raise questions around why would they release marketing material that doesn't look finished or passable, really. But again, it doesn't really bother me. I think this looks fun, really light tone. It's great seeing Ruffalo as the Hulk again, but... Nice Hulk rather than Angry Hulk. So really looking forward to this show. I think it's going to be great. This looks a lot of fun. It's another one of these really fun ones. Good seeing the Hulk in there as well. I'm a bit confused about the time period of it because you've got the Professor Hulk sort of thing, but no cast on his arm. And then when we've seen him in Shang-Chi, he's back to human banner persona. So I'm not too sure about time period for this thing. Did he have the cast in Shang-Chi? I can't remember. I thought he had the cast but i can't remember but he was human yes. in that one rather than the professor hulk thing but anyway although it was a hologram so maybe he projects himself as it a was human. a hologram so yeah could be i'm with you on the cg front you sort of sit there and go oh could you not finish the stuff that you were putting in the trailer i don't get these things that go oh yeah yeah but that's unfinished effects well finish the ones for the trailer if you're showing 30 seconds worth of footage from that particular scene maybe push that up your production queue a little bit i know it maybe doesn't work that way auto magically stuff's got to be done in sequence potentially to keep color matching and everything correct maybe but try and coordinate a little bit you're a big organization you're not a wee piddly outfit so you can you can maybe do these things it looks good it looks fun it looks a bit different again from this tv universe and i do look forward to this i'll definitely be watching yes and there'll be a podcast about it at some point i'm sure we had a discussion about the visual effects side of things and i think a lot of modern blockbusters don't look that good and some of it's to do with the fact that visual effects houses are flat out and on tight deadlines because there's so many blockbusters getting made so that's why you have some CGI that doesn't look really up to snuff. If you look at the original Iron Man, for example, the CGI Iron Man suit in that film looks amazing compared to some ropier stuff that happens later on. And you would think the effects are going to get better as time goes on. And they do if the time is put in to actually do them properly. But there's just so much of it at the moment. And I think that's one of the reasons that Top Gun Maverick stood out as much as it did, because everything was in camera. They actually filmed in fighter jets and whatever else. Mm. So that stood out in that way. And I'm not going to criticise the whole use of CGI and things like that, because, again, it doesn't really bother me. I do notice it, but I grew up in the 60s Star Trek, where special effects were all awful but he's just got on with it and i think that mentality has persisted throughout the rest of my life so as long as i know what it's supposed to be i'm all right more or less 
doesn't bother me. Yeah, we've discussed it before. I think if what's on the screen is engaging, then you're not going to be focusing on bad CGI. And I agree with you again, these effects houses are busy. I mean, look at the list of visual effects people when we're sitting waiting for the post-credits <laughs> scenes. The entire village's worth of special effects artists that go up on the screen. But even when you're watching standard TV shows now, in inverted commas, standard TV shows, stuff that's set in present day, stuff that's set not too distant future sort of stuff, they're still doing a ton of CGI and touch-up because there's always little green screen shots of that road doesn't actually go anywhere. So they've got to CG in the rest of the street. That block isn't actually in New York, so they've got to add a bit of an effect over this bit here, or they're adding in people when cars moving in a distance, or they're blocking out that building that's got a massive billboard advert on it for something that is not related to the show, so it needs to be replaced. And the amount of actual special effects shots that go into a standard TV show nowadays is just ridiculous. It's all these things that people just do not think of. The erasing of power lines and period pieces. Planes flying into Heathrow over these country estates as they're filming a Downton Abbey type show. You've got to sit there and edit all that stuff out. Except in Gladiator where they just left it in. Or just leave it in. You've got the motorway signage and all the modern day paraphernalia that's got to be edited out of certain shows. So yeah, I think these special effects houses are working pretty hard but normally if the stuff on the screen is engaging i don't notice it as much i will notice when something is stunning but i won't notice as much if something's rubbish if what is on the screen is pulling me out it's not forcing me to look at it yeah last trailer we did it thor love and thunder it's a second trailer already people kept saying where's the trailer why haven't we got a trailer yet? Now we have two in the space of a few weeks, so no more complaining. I would rather not have had this trailer, actually. I feel like it shows a little bit too much. But we get to see Gore the God Butcher, which is Christian Bale in makeup, which I wouldn't have predicted. I thought it would be some kind of CGI enhanced creation type thing. Looks like good fun. Thor and Jane. You see a bit more of Jane in this one. Natalie Portman looks huge which we saw pictures of before anyway, but she does look huge. Again, it was a ton of fun, like the last one. This one's going to be a blast to watch, and it's not far away. So, yeah, and the arc of Thor figuring out his place in the universe while a god killer tries to murder him. I'm all for it, definitely. Yeah, the trailers seem to have binary choices this month. Your options are, it looks a bit weird, or this looks fun. <laughs> and I'm going to go along the line of, this looks fun. The story of a space Viking. And I'm like, yes, I'm up for the story of a space Viking. I'll watch that. It's sort of still got that Voyager Discovery vibe that you had from the first trailer. It's not quite leaning on that as much, but you get some of the same scenes again. Russell Crowe. Looks like he's having a blast doing that role. And you get to see a bit more of Jane as Thor. So, yeah, this looks good. And, yeah, I'm watching it. <laughs> you know I'm watching it. I'm not going to lie and say anything else. They've got me already. I'm with you. Less is more. I don't want any more footage, any more teaser, TV spot stuff now. That's it. You've done it. You've got me. Well, it's basically a month away. Okay, we're out of trailers. Not as big a chat about the Thor trailer as we thought but Kat and I discussed it at length in the previous one so just go back and listen to that yeah so we're out of the trailers now we did it let's talk about some other stuff bits of news as always we'll go through some of our pillars we do have extra pillars in this one actually so it's gonna be fun more pillars but we'll start with Marvel and Associated we'll start off with something that's not part of the MCU there is an adaptation of El Muerto coming up and if you haven't heard of that character 
I don't blame you because neither have I. But he's a very, very, very obscure Spider-Man character. He is essentially a wrestler. Benito Antonio Martinez Ocasio, better known as his stage name Bad Bunny, don't know who that is, has been cast as the newest Marvel hero in Sony Pictures' portfolio of the super characters and will lead the standalone comic book film El Muerto. Known as Juan Carlos Estrada Sanchez in the comics, El Muerto is a wrestler whose powers are handed down by an ancestry in the form of a mask, which according to Marvel's official site gives him superhuman strength. In past comic narratives, El Muerto has gotten in the ring with Spider-Man himself. Sony Brass suggested Ocasio will portray an anti-hero on the verge of inheriting his father's power. As I understand it, and has been reported, Bad Bunny went through the Spider-Man catalogue and was looking for a character that he could play that matched his ethnicity and found this in like a single issue of Spider-Man, basically. So they're doing this. And with this being a Sony movie, I'm already going to tell you what the plot is. So you've already got a mask that gives you his powers. What there's going to be is there's going to be another mask, right? And it's going to be worn by someone else, perhaps related to him, perhaps not, but will have the same powers. And they will dance around each other for a couple hours before they fight at the end and one of them wins. And then there's going to be a load of reshoots. There's going to be a load of delays and the film will be cut to ribbons and the end result will be, what the hell did we just watch? There's my prediction for what this film will be. <laughs> I think you've pretty much predicted it, mate. This is a Sony Pictures universe of Spider-Man related characters or whatever this is called. This is a weird one. It's interesting that the actor has picked out the character himself because what I thought I could hear in the background was a Sony executives scraping the bottom of a barrel. <laughs> wow, out of the list, we've got this. I'm going to say this seriously. It has the potential to be interesting because it's kind of different. You can sort of go anywhere with it. The problem is exactly what you've said, which is you can almost predict what they are going to do with it, and that's disappointing. In theory, we should be sitting scratching our heads going, how do you fit this in? But instead, we're sitting going, yeah, this is pretty much written, isn't it? There's someone else with a wrestling fighting mask who's going to have the similar powers, and they're going to have a bit of punch-up towards the end. There we go, roll credits, done. And then they'll pop up in some multiverse film thing where they're uniting random characters that they've assembled later on down the line. There you go. Michael Keaton will show up in a post-credit scene complaining about Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The trailers will be absolutely littered with Spider-Man paraphernalia, none of which will be in the actual film. <laughs> There will be rumours of every Spider-Man, Spider-Man related character you could possibly imagine appearing in this film. They will not appear. And if they do appear, it'll be in a disappointing post-credits stick. <laughs> because that is what they have done to me now, is that every time I see a bit of marketing from this Sony Pictures Marvel universe of characters that we happen to still have the rights to, they have just convinced me with what they did with Morbius that none of this stuff will actually appear in. And all it is simply done is to create clickbait headlines to promote their next thing. <laughs> Not that I had a ton of faith in what they were doing with the expanded universe with this, but the fact that they've just put stuff into trailers in order to cause clickbaity articles. It's like, okay, fair play marketing exec, you got us. We speculated about what was going to happen in your film. However, what you've done now is you've just peeved all of us off because you're you're playing us. You can't have that. Because all that people are going to think in the future is, oh yeah, so they've just 
Photoshop that in so that it'll now generate a hundred YouTube videos about how this is going to fit into the amazing Spider-Man universe or the Tom Holland Spider-Man universe or whatever other thing that they try and throw at it. So with this, they've got the potential to make something really, really interesting. They probably won't. They Photoshop Andrew Garfield into a set photo and then leak it in inverted commas. <laughs> I wouldn't mind if it was that. It's putting stuff into trailers that's just not there. If there was never any intention for that to be anything to do with it, why was it ever there? Apart from the fact that it was to generate clickbait, to generate talk and traction behind a film that otherwise wouldn't have got any of it. Pretty much. That's for a different podcast about a different film. But yeah, anyway, that's my mini rant. So we've already seen this film then, based on what we've just said, we've already seen it. We know exactly what to expect from it. I think we have. And as we know from our Spider-Man podcast is that we're great at creating Spider-Man films that we haven't even seen. Come on, Sony, hire us. We won't turn this into something. Although I would start by just not adapting this, probably, because I don't even know who the character is. I don't think I've read the issue that he appears in. There's a bit of head-scratching when it goes on to certain characters, and that is understandable. You might not have read every single thing, but yeah, I was the same as you. I read this name and I went, who? Yeah. Why is this Sony? This must be some obscure character from somewhere else. No, no, it's a Spider-Man character. Okay. To be fair, you can look at some of the stuff the MCU adapt and think, well, that's interesting, why this guy? But then mm. they tend to do a good job with it, whereas Sony, not so much. All right, Venom, fine. Venom's okay, but Morbius was a disaster. So this, I'm leaning in the direction of being a disaster. But we'll find out. Assuming it gets made at all, which it might not. It has a release date, January 2024. So God, that's not far away. They're going to turn this out. Moving on, this is an MCU story. John Watts, who directed the three... MCU Spider-Man movies, will not be directing Fantastic Four. He left because he said he was a bit burned out from doing three superhero movies in a row, which, fair enough. The quote was, making three Spider-Man films was an incredible and life-changing experience for me. I'm eternally grateful to be part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe for seven years. I'm hopeful we work together again, and I can't wait to see the amazing vision for Fantastic Four brought to life. There's rumours about John Krasinski being the possible director because of a recent appearance he may or may not have made. <laughs> well, if you're Elizabeth Olsen, he wasn't there. That is true. If you ask her, I don't know who that is. <laughs> yeah, I can completely understand it. It would be good to see his take, but I can understand why he's not wanting to run forward with this. Doing a lot of those films back to back, I can imagine it would give you a bit of a fatigue. And there's potential rumours elsewhere about other spider-man related stuff so it seems that he's a busy guy yes and there's confirmations of other things he's working on which is later in this list we won't talk about it now <laughs> i was about to say that. Yeah. <laughs> i have seen the name elsewhere yes indeed <laughs> next up secret invasion is apparently going to be set during the blip which is an interesting choice it's good because i want to see more stuff of how the things worked during the blip one big question that it raises is nick fury was blipped he was gone for five years. <laughs> Unless, here's two possibilities. One, the scroll that pretended to be him in Spider-Man Far From Home wasn't blipped and just keeps pretending to be him the whole time. Or, the guy that we saw blipped at the end of Infinity War was Talos. Those are your two options. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Someone potentially just filled his place during the blip but you would think that because he activated the thing for 
Captain Marvel that he would have then spoken to Captain Marvel. Yeah. Kind of thing and wouldn't have been missing during the events of Endgame. Again, it's one of those ones where you sit and go, how do you fit this in? I don't know if set during the blip means we're going to be showing a lot of stuff during the blip, but actually it's going to be set outside of that. Yeah, it might jump back and forth. It might jump back and forth because there seem to be some lines in there as well about getting to see more of Nick Fury's past revealed and odd ends like that so it might be that there's some time shenanigans through it because it seems like if you're doing something about oh all these people have been replaced you're gonna have to show when they were replaced and when they were swapped out and i want to see more stuff during the blip i think a marvel show doesn't need to even have been a superhero show that's the thing something set during the blip showing what happened this is where i we talked about during the agent's shield stuff as well that would have been perfect back in the thing to have a oh all these people have gone and that would have just been a fantastic story for them to follow i would love to see a show set during the blip or like a weird sort of anthology series during the blip different points of view a different character an episode a different person an episode set at different points during the blip a policeman, a school teacher, a real estate agent, I don't know, throw a dart at a list of different job titles and try and picture what their life was like during the blip. Yeah. I think that would be a fantastic use of the sweeping power that Disney have, (laughs) (laughs) the resources that they have. So, yeah, seeing Secret Invasion, espionage stuff during the blip, cool. But yeah, I would actually like to see more stuff from during the blip. I just think it's an unexplored part of that history that I think would be really interesting to see. Fury comes back and finds that some people are squatting in his secret bases. He finds out (laughs) people are living in his secret bases and he's furious. He's many secret bases. (laughs) Somehow people found all of my secret bases and are now living in them. I'm convinced Nick Fury lives downstairs from me. I think (laughs) that could be another one of his secret bases. Good chance. So we'll see how that shakes out. But yes, Fury and Maria Hill were both blipped, but there are scrolls. So the scrolls that look like them might not have been, and that's how you do that. But then that'd be disappointing that we have a whole show where it's just someone pretending to be Nick Fury and not really Nick Fury. Hmm. But we'll find out. Just an interesting little detail. Moving on, this is a horrifying prospect. The headline, according to The Verge, Marvel Studios is licensing Stan Lee's likeness from the company he sued before his death. Basically, they've decided that they're going to buy the rights to put his likeness in things. So it means he'll show up in cameos. That is just horrifying. We've talked about that before with Star Wars and things. Let people die. (laughs) Just stop them appearing in content. I read it as this means that he could. Oh, he will. They will do this. It seems odd because I don't know if it's the likeness, even like drawn stuff in the comics or used on any other graphic art. Is that use of his likeness or is it a biopic thing? I'm not too sure if it's, oh, it's so that we can do Stan Lee cameos in films. The whole point of those cameos was, oh, look, it's Stan Lee turning up. Not, oh, look, it's CGI, Stan Lee, for some reason. It seems like a really odd thing for them to do. It doesn't quite make sense to me it's a very odd thing and and we've discussed it before with the star wars stuff when does an actor give up the rights to their 
likeness. Yeah. Normally, the filmmakers are pretty good and will ask the estate for permission or this is what we're intending to do and this is how we're going to do it tastefully or here's how we're going to do it well and here's what the character's going to do. But at what point is that going to be written into contracts and things that, oh, by the way, if anything happens to you, we've got the right to digitally recreate you. And the special effects that we were talking about earlier on, the actors for these films are getting full-blown body scans done in pretty much every costume that they wear in these shows now so that they can be digitally recreated in fight scenes and flying through the air and whatnot. So that's a full body image that could then be used to create anything that they want, really. It can then be superimposed over someone in the green screen pyjamas whenever they want. So it seems like something that the rights and the rules are going to need to catch up with and is probably something far too big for us to discuss on this. Yeah. But yeah, it's fascinating. I didn't quite read it as he will appear in cameos now or he will now be superimposed into every Marvel property. I read it more as if they want to be able to still publish comics with stuff with his image in, then they need to buy the rights to do it. Well, one of the quotes on the press release is, there is no better place than Marvel and Disney where Stan should be for his movies and theme park experiences. As we enter the centennial year of Stan's birthday, which will be December 28th this year, we are thrilled to see his memory and legacy will continue to delight fans through his new long-term agreement. Through this, not his (laughs) new long-term agreement with Marvel. My God, it does sound horrifying. I do think that they will do that. They will just chuck him in in places. It's just going to be brutal. Speaking with a Hollywood reporter, Hayward, some spokesperson, says, while he and the others always field offers with a focus on protecting legacies, what will determine how the public receives future depictions of Lee is the intentionality behind it. I don't know what that means. So, yeah, it's horrifying, whatever it is. Nothing more to say about it, really, other than... It's not great. It's not a great prospect. The man is dead. Let's just move on. Speaking of moving on, there's better news at Marvel. A new Daredevil series is moving forward at Disney+. Matt Corman and Chris Ord are attached to write and executive produce. Apparently it's going to pick up after the third season, sort of. I'm guessing they'll just be cagey about his past and details. We've already had the Kingpin. There'll be no chat about dragons underneath New York or whatever. Maybe there will. I'm just excited about seeing Daredevil again. There has been some concerns about the tone of it, how if Disney Plus will dilute him in some way, and maybe they will. I'm okay with that because as great as Daredevil was in its first season, I do think the bleakness was relentless later on. So I'd be okay with them changing up the tone a little bit. But who knows? They have done stuff verging on the darker side of it in the Disney Plus Shows Moon Knight could be dark in places. Hawkeye was in places as well. So I don't think it's necessarily a deal breaker. And Daredevil can be different things anyway. He has been in the comics. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Hopefully it's not diluted too much. But there was kind of a bit of a race between the seasons where it was, oh, we've got to now outdo ourselves. In season one, we did this. So season two, we need a big moment and season three we need a bigger moment than the one we did in season two it's lost the surprise factor because you're kind of pulling that stuff on us once a season we're knowing to expect it i'm glad that this is getting an extra season out of all the shows i think daredevil was the one that everyone was like please 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 this is the one that we want if you're going to pick one go for this it will be interesting to see what they do in relation to their past it will be curious especially considering they've tied Kingpin into Hawkeye as well. Maybe it'll be multiverse shenanigans. I don't know. They do have that door open to them now. But I definitely wanted this to happen, so 100% here for it. 
Yeah, although it could just be the Daredevil show you watch took place in a different reality and this one's in the MCU reality, so you're fine. Yeah, it totally could be. I could see that they would want to tie it into the MCU-verse because if they want to have crossovers with other characters or other things turning up, then they want it to be in the same universe. They don't want to have the multiverse shenanigans for all the stuff, but also at the same time it allows them to keep their own continuity. I think there might be a struggle if they rewrite certain bits of backstory in order to crowbar stuff in. That might cause problems. But Charlie Cox, for example, is a fantastic piece of casting. You don't want them to recast. No. You don't want them to factory default the character and factory default the whole thing. It seems like one of those tasks. I would not be happy trying to come up with it myself, how you're going to tread that line. It's a bit like we said about the Obi-Wan stuff earlier on. They're going to be damned whichever way they go on this. If they water down the violence, they'll be accused of watering down the violence. If they have too much violence, they'll be like, oh, what have they done? This isn't Disney Plus friendly. It's all that business. We'll see. It's easy to do, though, because you just have a setup for him. He has his office with Foggy and Karen's there or whatever, and you just don't really talk about what happened before, if anything. You just leave it alone and let this version exist on their own. The Fisk in Hawkeye, he's different, because he has that connection to Echo, mm. which he obviously doesn't have in the Netflix show, because the whole thing about that version of Fisk was his solitude, the fact that he didn't have any strong connections. So in Hawkeye, he's suddenly a favourite uncle to someone, which doesn't track with the Netflix version of him, which is fine. It's still a similar guy played by the same actor. So I feel like they'll just do the same here and I'm okay with that. They just won't yep, talk about I agree. it. They just won't give you his origin story again because we've already had it and you just go on with it. And Obviously, he's already appeared in Spider-Man. The next one's a rumour and it doesn't seem to be substantiated by anything, but there is a Captain Carter series maybe in development. So Haley Atwell playing Captain America, but as Captain Carter, we've seen her in live action already. And I think we're okay to talk about that because they've released footage officially now, so fine. Whether it be the What If version, we don't know, or another version. It probably won't be the version in Doctor Strange for a very particular reason. (laughs) This could be cool if they do it. I always want to see more of Hayley Atwell as a version of Peggy. Hilarious that she got her own TV show that didn't do very well and got cancelled and then... She might get this other TV show where she just gets to be Captain America. Give us Agent Carter, you coward. (laughs) She needs to have Jarvis in her own show, though. Yeah, we've still got to fit a Jarvis in. Yeah, this seems believable, I guess. And the thing is, you look into the story and it's just like, oh, that character did well and people want more of it, so we're going to say there's a rumour that it's in development. When I dug into the, as reported by so-and-so on such-and-such and blah, 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 it all comes down to one video podcast, the last three minutes of the Disinsider show. literally three minutes before the credits roll at the end they go our uh, rumor of the week is they're gonna do a captain carter series roll credits and you're like oh that's it these guys have just went yeah they're gonna make this (laughs) okay i guess it wouldn't surprise me that there is a development board somewhere that has ideas suggestions next round of shows question mark and somewhere on there there's captain carter question mark i imagine there's a lot of names on that board i imagine that there is a whole host of marvel characters on a list somewhere of do we want to do these as tv do we want them to appear in films do we want them as cameos and other stuff so it wouldn't shock me do i think it would be worth an entire season of television probably not well the thing about what if her episode was just a slight remix of captain america the first movie, yeah. the first Avenger, Captain America. It's not called Captain America, the first movie, but it was a remix of that. <laughs> and then her second appearance in What If was a riff on Winter Soldier. So it depends if they want to really divert from it, because one of the 
things in what if is do we want to see the version of the avengers but with peggy in it is it going to be different enough so what's she going to be up to what's she going to do that's different and if they do something that's different then yes if it's about how she joins the illuminati did he see that show probably not yeah but there's stuff you can do it's good seeing a kick-ass character a great female character strong female character out there that's brilliant but you need to put some other plot and stuff around it just going okay we've got a female-led show and we're going to do this okay but you need to now do something with it that isn't enough you need to come up with a reason you're just going to repeat stuff that we've seen elsewhere then you're not really achieving anything by that no i like seeing Haley atwell on screen i think she's doing great but it depends on what material is getting given there and i don't think there'd be enough to fill it out I wouldn't be upset if the character appeared in other stuff in the future, but I don't think there'd be enough for a full show, especially when it sounds like it'd be too similar to the shows that we've already got. Yeah, she meets Sam Wilson and makes friends with Ada. You just do Winter Soldier again, but with Peggy. We'll find out. Or maybe we won't. Maybe this is just nonsense. Still in the rumour mill, Spider-Man movie rumours, basically the Sony and the producers therein want to just bring the cast back from the last one which is no surprise be interesting to see how they do that how does peter parker meet those people again and be friends with them again how do they (laughs) play around with that concept so i wouldn't be against that idea we talked about it before but we kind of wanted one film without those characters to see how he fares on his own yeah we discuss it in depth in the spider-man no way home podcast that we did but yeah if they're going to do another tom holland one i want to see a film of him coming to terms with struggling without his friends and if his friends appear i want it to be the conclusion to the film is that he's meeting back up with them again or doing something like that i do not want the beginning of this film to be him explaining to mg what happened that's not what i want and i know that it would be massively tempting for them to do that because part of the charm of those films is the dynamic between your three friends at the core of the film and I don't have enough faith in them to hold off about doing that. I do find it weird that the rumour mill is spreading about this. Between John Watts saying that I've got superhero fatigue, you've got Tom Holland saying I'm going to have an acting break for the next couple of years, I'm going to disappear into the wilderness and rediscover myself and focus on other things. Wasn't that Andrew Garfield that said that? No, Tom Holland did he's I'm going to disappear for a little bit. I'm going to concentrate on my Uncharted sequels for a while. Yeah, I'm going to concentrate on other projects. I'm going to do other things. Obviously, you've got to take in the fact that there's negotiating tactics at play from all sorts of people at these parts because that was the end of his contract or I think he's got one combo film yeah. appearance thing on his list. But that was his bit is done. So now's the point where he gets to play around and go, ha ha ha, I might not come back. (laughs) Pay me more money than my last film did. All of the money, please. Is there going to be another Spider-Man film? Yes. When it'll be, what it'll be, what Spider-Man it will be is question mark. Yeah. Again, we'll find out. (laughs) There's not much more we can say. It's just a rumour. Yeah. Do we want Zendaya in her next film? Yes. No-brainer, really, there, isn't it? Yes. Okay, let's hop over the line to DC. There's only a couple items here. One of them is set photos from the Blue Beetle movie of the costume. It looks like the Blue Beetle costume. looks a bit Iron Man-ish as well. It looks really cool. It looks like a really well-designed costume. Yeah, it looks really neat. Similar to you, when I looked at the face mask, I thought, that's very Iron Man similar. But there's only so many ways that you can design those face masks, to be fair. It is blue... 
It is Beatlesque. It therefore ticks the boxes. I do like in the picture. Don't know if this picture will be linked in the show notes or not. The article is. But the person in the background is wearing a Pym Technologies t shirt and it's for a DC film. It made me giggle. Uh, I never noticed that. Good catch. A little bit of me inside went, oh, crossover. I love it. <laughs> yeah, the suit looks interesting. The proof of the pudding will be in the eating, yes. though, and how it appears on screen and stuff, obviously. But promising start, for sure. Yes. Last bit of DC news is less optimistic. The Wonder Twins film, which we reported on the casting last month, has been scrapped after the actors have been cast. <laughs> With the CW telling us that Riverdale is going to come to an end at the end of season seven, it's like, that's brilliant. That frees KJ up up to play... Oh, okay. Maybe not. Brilliant. Got a job lined up. The show's going to end after season... Oh, well, now what? Which is a shame, because I think the Wonder Twins could have been a good, fun concept. I don't know why they scrapped it, though. It's just to do with this significant overhaul of the DC Entertainment properties after Discovery bought them. It just seems like everything's getting guttered at this point. They're just garroting everything and starting from scratch. It's a wonder that anything survived the cut, really. They've got Joker films to make, Craig. They've got Joker films. They do. Yeah, it seems a shame because this one seemed a bit different. These are the ones that have the potential to be interesting. A bit like I said about the Spider-Man wrestler earlier on. Because they're not as well known, potentially, and amongst the stuff, you can sort of have fun with them and do something different. Everyone has an expectation of what a Batman film is going to be or what a Superman film is going to be. I have no idea what a Wonder Twins TV series or film would be. I'm with you. I think a lot of DC stuff is up in the air with this merger, with rights of stuff wobbling about all over the place, and there seems to be lots of related cancellations and delays and rehashes and... Yeah, it's almost like they're reaching for a big reset button again. It's one of those things. It's not nice to see because it's one of those bits where you don't want to sit there and bash DC for what's going on, but they're not making it easy on themselves. It's not their fault. It's the big wigs, the suits that are making these decisions that are just destroying projects. We all know the track record of DC suggesting something that they'll make and then it actually getting made or what form it takes when it finally does appear but in this case it's an unfortunate casualty of a corporate merger yeah at least it's been cancelled before the infinite production delays on the subject of cancellations we will hop over to the cw an outlet that we may not be covering for very much longer considering how they're destroying everything that we watch they cancelled a bunch of stuff at the cw just mentioned that riverdale is coming to an end after the next season which is fine They're giving it an ending and allowing it to say seven, then we're done. And the CEO of the CW, Mark Pedowitz, he said something along the lines of he believes in giving the long-running shows a chance to end on their own terms. So that's why they're building in the final season. Although that quote comes in the wake of cancelling Legends of Tomorrow, a show that has been running longer than Riverdale on the CW that is now not getting a chance to finish its run. It's just ending on this cliffhanger that we talked about in the Legends podcast and I was really pissed off when they cancelled this. They cancelled Batwoman as well, which was something I wasn't all that bothered about, to be honest. I wasn't writing about it in season three. I was still watching it, but I wasn't at the point where I was like, yeah, I could watch another couple of years of this. Plus Gotham Knights was being planned, which, as we talked about before, is a very similar concept. People picking up the pieces after Batman's not there anymore, which is essentially the same concept as Batwoman. And they release the poster from Gotham Knights, which is just a bunch of pretty people standing in a rainy alleyway. But you just look at it and you're like, oh, I can't wait to see this. <laughs> what about this image screams Batman? Absolutely nothing. 
There's just nothing in here that suggests anything about what the show will be about. Other than it will probably be a bunch of pretty people standing around in the rain a lot. I reckon we'll see a lot of that. So that's going ahead. They've commissioned that to series, but they've killed Legends. They've killed Batwoman. They killed Naomi, a show that I watched one episode of and didn't go back to. Legacies, the Vampire Diaries spin-off, has been killed. 4400, they called it an unsuccessful reboot. It's something I didn't get around to starting, and now I don't really see the point in starting, to be honest, because it runs for one season and then it'll probably end on some kind of cliffhanger and then that'll be the end of it. Roswell, New Mexico is going to be ending in season four. That is a show that I have watched, although I haven't seen the last season yet, which I will get back to at some point. But that's probably just going to end on some kind of cliffhanger or some kind of lack of resolution. In the Dark, a show I haven't seen, but that was cancelled before its season four premiere. A show I'd never heard of somehow has four seasons. That's quite interesting. Charmed (laughs) has been killed. They're getting rid of that. Dynasty, all of that. So that's it. The CW gutted a lot of shows and we spoke at length offline about Legends and how upsetting it was to see that killed off because we bloody love that show. Yeah, that was the one that hit me. It's a shame for the other stuff to get cancelled before its time and not being given a chance to try and do some wrap-up and finish some stuff off. Legends, we talked about on the Legends podcast ourselves, part of the last season of Legends felt like a conclusion to an extent that they could almost delete the final episode of that season and have it being the finish. You could almost have seen that. And instead, you got a final episode that then turned it into a cliffhanger into the prospective season that they were going to have. I think it's unfair for them not to be given one final season or one reduced season to tie things up. It is a long-running show. Like you say, they've come out and said, oh yeah, Riverdale, oh, we would never think of just canning it and not giving it its thing. It's been running for years. What a shame for the production team and everyone that's put their heart and soul into this show. And then you sit there and you look at Legends, you go, come on, maybe take away that extra season of flash money that you don't need <laughs> and give it to legends or maybe half that final season of flash that you were going to do and give it to legends work that thing in in my head i've still got part hope but from everything that's been coming out it just seems like no it's gone it's not going to get revived in any way you know what's going to happen sarah will turn up during an episode of The Flash next season and just explain what happened after the season yeah. finale and that'll be how they wrap it up. I think that's what's going to happen there. We were in prison, but we don't really talk about it. Don't worry, <laughs> we got out. What about this character? Oh yeah, they're fine now. What about them? Oh, they're living happily. What about this? It'll just be all covered in random screeds of dialogue. Katie Lotz was talking about their plans for the next season. It was stuff like they were going to be training a new generation of time travellers and things like that and teaching them how to not do things the way they did them. That was going to be one of the concepts. So it's not my idea of Sarah breaking everyone out of prison that I suggested, but we're not going to see it anyway, so it doesn't matter. Sounds like an interesting concept. It would have been good to see. I always think it's a bit unfair when shows aren't given their fair chance to wrap up. There's a lot of stuff there. The way that you were describing it, sort of killed, chopped, axed. Brutal cancellation through their schedule. That was not a happy building when they were announcing all that sort of stuff. You could imagine the production teams that were sitting there going, oh my God, have you heard from this show? Oh yeah, they've just been cancelled. Oh, who's that coming down the corridor? Oh no, it's the accountant. (laughs) The producers were all talking about, we don't know either, we're still waiting. Again, it seems a lot is due to these mergers and things that are going on. I know that I think it's TNT. They basically got told, yeah, you're not making any original shows anymore. (laughs) Your original content's gone. (laughs) You're just commissioning reruns and other people's productions now. That's it. 
you're not getting your own stuff. It just seems to be the way that they're going, which is a shame. But then potentially it frees up these actors to go on and do maybe some more interesting stuff. We'll get to see them pop up in other things, potentially. Maybe, now yeah. That they're released from things like Legends. That's one of the smallest little bits of positivity that I can take out of it. But obviously disappointed in that and we talked about it in Lem for the other podcast about our thoughts for the season and what was potentially coming forward. Yeah, the funniest thing is, it's not even that funny, but when I did the Let's Chat about renewals with Andrew last month on the news podcast at that point Legends hadn't been cancelled, but this very same day we had that conversation was when the news broke and I was sitting there with however many minutes of audio that is just now wrong. Such is the problem with the fact that I do these recordings or we do these recordings. There's a few days after we chat that the thing comes out. Stuff's going to be out of date. This is just going to be the way. So maybe they'll have found it within their hearts to make another season by the time this podcast releases. And then next month I get to Talk about how it's getting a six-episode finale run. Who knows? Sorry to break the illusion for people that think we record this three weeks ago with a bunch of embargoed press releases. That's it. <laughs> so that we've got all the news current. <laughs> Sorry to burst the illusion. Okay, let's move on. There's been quite a lot of mishaps going on on the Fast X set. Well, there's been one. Justin Lin exited as director after it started shooting, which was an interesting surprise. He reportedly left after a major disagreement with Vin Diesel. Judging by the way people who have previously worked with him, such as The Rock, talk about Vin Diesel, that's not surprising. I wonder what the disagreement was, but geez, he went in and apparently it was costing them some stupid like a million dollars a day in delays while they were waiting to get another director, which they probably got. They got Louis Leterrier, who is probably not as good a director. He did the Transporter films. He did The Incredible Hulk, which means he's pretty good at working with difficult actors. That's true. I just find it fascinating that a film can get that close to principal photography and the director walks out. You hear about it happening before the sets are built or when the story's getting hashed out and they're not quite getting the story that they want or disagreements with the studio. But to get up to pretty much the day the film is getting put into the cameras or the flash drive is getting put into the cameras, I guess. And then going, yeah, I'm off. <laughs> it's like, enough. I ain't got no time for that. I'm off. That happened with Solo. It happened with Justice League. So it's not as uncommon as you might think. It's an interesting point for it to exit. It does not read well for the film, especially for a series that prides itself on, in inverted commas, the family. <laughs> we're all a family. We're all together. We're all chums. We're all buddies. And then you hear about all the stuff that's going on behind you go, oh dear, this is not a happy ship. According to sources, the disagreement was over the changing script. Lynn was handling writing duties on the 10th installment, believed he had a finished script heading in production, but Universal and Vin Diesel had other thoughts. You were hearing about casting, that's the next item. So Louis Leterrier, I'm sure he'll do a fine job. I don't really like these films anyway, so I'm pretty sure it's not going to colour my opinion of it in any way. But another bit of casting is Alan Richson, who's doing pretty well for a guy that's not a very good actor. He's getting quite a lot of work, despite the fact he's just not that good. Good for him. He's going to be joining it. Doesn't say who he's playing, but he's going to be in it. As is Rita Moreno, who is going to play Vin Diesel's grandmother, a character that has never been mentioned. She's going to play Dominic Toretto's grandmother, not Vin Diesel's grandmother. Although that'd be interesting. Character turns up as actor Vin Diesel's grandmother in the film. That'd be quite funny. Yeah, Alan Richardson's a kind of fit for the Fast franchise, to be honest. He's an absolute mountain of a man, yeah. so that seems like a fitting bit of casting. I've only really seen him in Titans, and obviously I, I talked at the beginning about Reacher. Smallville? Smallville, yeah, of course, Smallville as well. Yeah. He's the 
original live-action Aquaman. And it's interesting that in a film franchise about family, Toretto is never once mentioned as grandmother. <laughs> we need an inspirational figure. We've got to bring in a sage person, a, a grandmother, <laughs> yeah. or a motherly figure to pass on a bit of advice at a needing moment. You can do this. I've always said that you could do this. You were made for this. We're going to get a Top Gun style 20 years down the line. Vin Diesel returning to the Fast and Furious franchise. They're going to dig Dom Toretto out of wherever he ends up at the end of these films. And it'll be the last of the Furious or something they'll call it. <laughs> Trademark that. <laughs> People listening to this podcast will steal my idea. When that Sony film, El Muerto, gets made precisely as I've predicted it, let's remember this moment and Last of the Furious in 20 years. Remember this in 20 years. It's recorded for posterity. I think you've got to write it down and post it to yourself or something like that, isn't that the... Uh... Yeah, but I can't copyright an idea on an existing franchise, can I? <laughs> Darn it. There's the rub there. They can take it all they want and then pretend that, no, it's just an idea that anybody could have had, but it's also an idea... I had. Move on. We've got a couple of bits of news about Doctor Who. The next Doctor's been cast and didn't have time to find anybody that's seen him in anything to chat about this, but the actor's name is Shuti Gatwa and he is known for Sex Education on Netflix, a show I have not seen, but anybody that has seen it says that he'll be great. He'll be able to play that manic energy, perhaps, that the Doctor sometimes has. He'll be able to do something new with it, so good news for him. Well done him for getting cast. And an Edinburgh local as well, so... Yes, points. yes, yes. <laughs> Good for him. It seems that a lot of Scottish actors get to play the Doctor. We had Sylvester McCoy, David Tennant, Peter Capaldi. Now this guy. Yeah. Like you say, I have not seen him in sex education, but everyone that has has went, oh my God, this is perfect. This is the role. It sort of adds into the excitement ahead of the sort of reimagining that they're doing. We're going to reinvigorate the franchise, so to speak. So it adds a bit of excitement into that and seems like a good bit of casting. Oh, yes. And another Doctor Who news, David Tennant and Catherine Tate will be returning. And the wording is curious that they'll be filming scenes around the 60th anniversary, not for the 60th anniversary. So they may not be in the 60th anniversary special episode, which is something I found quite interesting. Although they probably will be. I think it's just quirk of wording. There's since been set photos with David Tennant wearing a different coat to the one that he wore when he was the Doctor, which has sparked a lot of theories and stuff. So we'll see how that pans out. Catherine Tate coming back. I'm in two minds about it. I liked the character of Donna as written, but I didn't like Catherine Tate. So she's a character I found really annoying because she was played by Catherine Tate. But it's a character I liked. It's a very weird conflict that I had with myself over that. <laughs> Catherine Tate was one of those casting choices that when I read it originally, I was like, oh no, this just makes no sense. This is going to be awful. And then I actually really liked her as the Doctor's companion. It still had that thing where it kind of took me out a little bit because you're going, that's Catherine Tate. <laughs> rather than the character. It's one of those weird bits because Catherine Tate, prior to that, was pretty much famous for doing sketches and stuff on TV as well. So every time you look at stuff, you go, oh, it's like a big Catherine Tate sketch. But I thought they actually did the character pretty well. So I'm kind of glad to see them coming back. I really like David Tennant as the Doctor. Yeah, it's a no-brainer, that one, isn't it? Yeah, it seems like, oh, you're bringing back one of the Doctors. Which one? David Tennant. Good choice. Well done. <laughs> you didn't pick badly there. I don't think he'll be the only one. I think they'll announce more 
closer to the time. I'm kind of similar to you. I imagine David Tennant potentially was the one that was filming street scenes and outdoor sequences that needed to be announced because otherwise it was going to leak in. There might be other people that they can sneak into closed sets or other bits that they can leave as special appearances and whatnot. Whereas if he was actually walking about the streets of London in Doctor Who garb, it's like, yeah, we've kind of busted you. Yep, bit of Doctor Who stuff. Is this going to be a jumping on point for you? Are you going to pick it back up when Russell T Davies takes over? Potentially give it a go. I kind of fell out of love with a bit of it during Peter Capaldi's run and I started a little bit of Jodie Whittaker's run. It stopped being appointment viewing for me with so many other things being on. It used to be that I would sit down and if I was in the flat at the time I would watch it live on BBC I wouldn't be catching up on iPlayer or whatever I would watch it when it was on and then it just drifted it wasn't appointment viewing and then it was oh I'll catch up with a couple of episodes that I've missed oh I'll catch up with three episodes that I've missed oh I'll catch up with half a season that I've missed <laughs> and then eventually oh yeah I'm not watching this am I kind of similar to what happened with some of the CW shows with me I am fighting to keep up with this in order to podcast about it at the end or to chat about it at the end if that's the only reason I'm doing it then I can't keep watching it and that's why I stopped. Maybe I will pick it up for the anniversary. Maybe I'll try and use it as a re-entry. Maybe I'll try and catch up with some stuff. Maybe not. It depends on what else is on around about the same time. And if I get a little gap, How I Met Your Mother will not watch itself, you know. <laughs> of course not. You will have to find time for things. I would suggest that the 60th anniversary is probably a good jumping on point because mm. every few years Doctor Who just refreshes itself and then it becomes accessible again. Yeah, definitely. And I know that we've got the likes of Isaac, who's very passionate around Doctor Who and really enjoys it. So I'd like to be back in that conversation again and enjoying watching it. So I will probably give it a go and try it as an entry. Yeah, and you might watch Jodie Whittaker's Regeneration just to see what the fuss is about. Mm-hmm. Putting words in your mouth now. Anyway, let's move on. We've got a few Star Wars things that we'll touch on. The John Watts Star Wars series now has a bit more information about it. It is called... Star Wars Skeleton Crew. It was informally referred to as a grammar rodeo at the time. It referenced an episode of The Simpsons in which Bart and three of his classmates take a road trip together by renting a car with a fake ID. The show takes place during the post-Return of the Jedi reconstruction, so around about the time of The Mandalorian, I suppose, that follows the fall of the Empire, the same as The Mandalorian, as I just said, but its plot remains a secret. It's created and executive produced by director John Watts and writer Chris Ford, who made Spider-Man Homecoming for Marvel. A casting notice is called for four children around 11 to 12 years old inside Lucasfilm. The show has been described as a galactic version of classic Amblin coming-of-age adventure films of the 80s, and Jude Law will be in it. Can we leave the post-Return of the Jedi era alone? (laughs) Is that just so they don't cross over? Is that what it is? I refuse to watch anything with the possibility of it crossing over with The Mandalorian. Yeah. Yeah, potentially. It's really funny because, oh, this is a period full of untapped potential where you can go and explore and do anything. And then a lot of the characters have all crashed into each other during this period. And you go, okay, so it's not quite untapped because everyone seems to be hanging about the same place at the moment during that time period but it sounds interesting there's not tons of detail in there john watts he's done some good stuff so i'm kind of there for it i'm interested you have my attention once there's a bit more flesh on the bones maybe i'll be more interested or maybe i'll be less interested someone will have made it by the end of this week actually because celebration's been on someone will have created the new timeline picture (laughs) put all the logos next to where it sits in the timeline because i have lost track <laughs> of where some of these shows are now because I'm sitting there going, okay, so this one's after this one, this one's around about the same time as that one, but before this one, this one's 10 years before, and that one's 10 years after, and this film's here and that film's there. I'm going to need one of those transparent whiteboards now so that I can draw the whole thing out because I'm getting confused. Yeah, is it not Obi Wan, Solo, and the 
Fallen Order video game sequel take place in the same year. That's some year. That's a busy year for everybody. Yeah, I think it's all that's around about the same time because I think they all used the rough language when they were promoting it of saying it's about 10 years since. Because <laughs> <laughs> they just went for a round number. I don't think it was that there was any sort of consensus of we're putting it at this date specifically because. I think it's someone said, oh, how long after is it? Oh, I don't know. How's long enough for stuff to have settled down a bit? <laughs> oh, 10 years? Yeah, that'll yeah, do. That'll do. Somewhere in the middle between this one and that one. All right, 10. <laughs> sure. <laughs> also announced at Star Wars Celebration, we're getting a second season of Visions, which is that creative anime thing. I haven't watched the first season of, but cool. People liked it, so we're getting another one. Another anthology animation thing called Tales of the Jedi, where Liam Neeson is going to be returning to voice Qui-Gon, despite saying he wouldn't do it for TV, but he's doing it. So I'm pretty sure the voice will turn up in Obi-Wan at the very least, but we'll find out. And a picture was released from Tales of the Jedi that had baby Ahsoka. So there's baby everything. <laughs> baby everything everywhere. Everyone gets a baby. You get a baby, you get a baby, you get a baby. Everyone gets a baby. Adorable baby Ahsoka. And we have some information about Ahsoka as well. There was some footage from The Mandalorian Season 3 that just basically confirmed that he would be fighting Bo-Katan or dealing with Bo-Katan in it. Also, Babu Frick will apparently be in it. So there's another reason not to watch the show. That little twerp. <laughs> Anyway, the description of the Ahsoka footage, which is something I'm more interested in, in a way, even though I don't like Rosario Dawson's Ahsoka, because I just don't think she has any of the energy that Ashley Eckstein's vocal performance had. But it basically is going to be Rebels 2.0, by the sounds of things. The description of the footage is as follows. Hera, Sundula, Ezra Bridger and Sabine Wren were all teased in the footage, but only Sabine's casting is currently known. The Mandalorian warrior has been played by Natasha Lou Bordizo, which we talked about in some previous news podcast somewhere. She also showed up at the panel. In the footage, Hera was the easiest to spot from the back thanks to her green head tails. You can see her alongside Ahsoka on the ghost before the footage ends with a live-action version of the final shot of Rebels, which shows Sabine looking at the mural of the crew. And apparently during the panel, Chopper, the droid, the filming model or mock-up or whatever, was on stage with Rosario Dawson, so Chopper is going to be it. So it's Rebels 2.0, by the sounds of things. We kind of suspected it was going to be Rebels 2.0 from what happened during The Mandalorian, didn't we? Because of what she was investigating at the time and she was looking for... Grand Admiral Thrawn and doing all that it was kind of like oh okay so she's on the hunt for that let's go find Ezra in another show let's go and find Ezra somewhere else let's focus on that when we've got some time I'm kind of for this I enjoyed Rebels so I'd like to see that story continue to an extent I'm a bit like you I've got a little bit of trepidation where it goes from animation to live action and vice versa because sometimes it can work and sometimes it can't I've not been as pulled out by Rosario Dawson's performance as you have. But yeah, there's definitely differences in there, but it's different actors and it's supposed to be a slightly different period to an extent. But I can understand why you might get pulled out a little bit by it. Overall, I'm sort of interested in where they're going with it. I want to see more from those characters and see a bit more of the story. Part of me has this thing with Star Wars, and I'm sure I've said it on a podcast before, it's just a conversation that we've had. The galaxy's meant to be big. We seem to keep bumping into the same characters and the same crossover points again and again and again and again. I'm sure someone from Star Wars would sit there and go, ah, but the Force works in mysterious ways. Yeah. That's why all these characters are tied together, because the Force was destiny that they would find each other, or if they were walking into a bar, they would stumble across that person, because reasons. And there's a little bit of that. Maybe there's other stories to tell out there, and that's why things like the Skeleton Crew announcement kind of interest me a bit as well. If this is going to be something different and going elsewhere. 
then potentially you've got that. But yeah, the Ahsoka show, it seems interesting and potentially good. With Dave Filoni being partly in charge, or seems to be majorly in charge of a lot of the Star Wars TV content now, you can see why characters that are close to him are getting picked up for TV. He wants to see those things in live action. If I'd spent all my time creating these characters in this world and the backstory for them, I'd want to see them in live action as well. Now he's got the power to do it, so fair play to him. Yeah, I think Star Wars needs to ditch the Skywalker saga entirely and do something else, though, because it just keeps weaving in and out of that time period with those characters. Ahsoka's a part of that because of her connection to Anakin, obviously. And then Kathleen Kennedy played a belter recently when she said, no, it doesn't work when we recast iconic characters. That's why Solo failed. No, Solo failed because you decided to reshoot the film when you were half done. And the version that you were previously making would have been better than the one that you released. That's why it failed. Not because you cast someone else's hand solo. Look at Star Trek. We've all accepted different actors playing those roles. And I've always said just, Give it a go. Give us a new Luke Skywalker. If you want to tell us stories in the post-Return of the Jedi era with Luke Skywalker, he doesn't have to be Mark Hamill. He can be some new guy. Not necessarily Sebastian Stan, but sure, why not? Just someone else. Give us another take on these characters because... You don't want to be mired in those visuals forever. Yeah, there is potential out there for them. And like you say, I completely disagreed when she said that oh, Solo was because of casting. No, you actually had quite a good cast in there. The problem was what they were given. Look at your young Lando. He was perfect. You had a great Lando performance in there. The, the Solo performance wasn't too bad either, really. I think a lot of the problem around Solo was the fact, I'm sure we said this when we recorded all the stuff about Solo as well, was around about the fact that it turns... Han's origin story into a busy week. (laughs) Everything is completed by the end of this film. You've got the full set. It doesn't leave you anywhere else to go. That should have been achieving maybe one of the list of things that Han Solo is known for, rather than, no, we're giving you everything this week. Everything. This is the film where he meets Chewbacca and nothing else. That's the only thing he does. Solo teased Han Solo. He was a pilot for the Empire. Oh, that's going to be really interesting. Oh, they've skipped over it. Oh, they just mentioned it. Okay. He was an Imperial cadet. He went off. He was actually fighting for the Empire. This will be interesting to see his origin. Oh, right. It's already... He got kicked out of the Academy and he's down all his luck. He has a gun on a muddy planet instead. That's what you want to see. He has a gun on the muddy planet instead. We get to see this. Okay, we're not seeing him grappling with any of this and what he's doing and whatnot yet. No, we're just fast forward. <laughs> it's got some all right bits in it, but the problem was that they muddled with it. It wasn't the recasting. And I've said before about the recasting, I don't think it would take me out of stuff for them to recast. But like you say, there is a big galaxy out there. It doesn't need to be these existing characters all the time. I wouldn't blame them for doing last farewells to certain characters. I don't know if the Obi-Wan show is going to be particularly along those lines. And the Mandalorian has just been fitting in more and more cameos of heritage cast for some reason. Considering it set out originally to be about this character, it's fitted in more and more cameos as it's went. Sort yourself out, Star Wars. I think is what we're saying here. Yeah. Leaving the Star Wars universe now, there is going to be a reboot of Spy Kids at Netflix. Spy Kids, I believe I've seen the first one many, many moons ago. Robert Rodriguez, who created the original series, has returned for the upcoming reboot, which he will write and direct. Plot details have not been revealed, but the next generation of Spy Kids will revolve around the activities of a multicultural family. I watched the first two Spy Kids films i didn't see the 3d one and then i think there was another thing that followed that up 4d probably i don't know 
4D one I God knows. I kind of enjoyed the first one, but I think I was at the right age for it when it came out, basically. It was cheesy and everything like that, but yeah, it was all right. I can see them redoing this. Yeah. I don't see why not. It's next up on the reboot trail, I suppose. They'll get to everything yeah, eventually. Around about the right time, you could do it with different effects and everything now, probably easier than you could do with the original, so yeah, why not? Yeah. Next up, in his first major TV series role, Harrison Ford has signed on to star opposite Jason Siegel in Shrinking, Apple TV Plus's 10-episode comedy series written and executive produced by Siegel and Ted Lasso co-creator slash executive producer slash showrunner Bill Lawrence. The Warner Brothers television produced Shrinking follows a grieving therapist played by Siegel, who starts to break the rules and tells clients exactly what he thinks. Ignoring his training in ethics, he finds himself making huge, tumultuous changes to people's lives, including his own. When I heard Shrinking, I thought it was going to be like Harrison Ford actually shrinking. <laughs> but never mind. Ford, who is joining Shrinking after lengthy negotiations, like, do you want to be in this? I don't know. Do you want to be in this? No, I don't know. Do you want to be in this? Yeah, okay. And there's the negotiations. He'll play Dr. Phil Rhodes, a down-to-earth, sharp-as-attack, blue-collar shrink. Blunt, but with an ever-present twinkle, that doesn't sound like Harrison Ford these days at all. Phil is a pioneer in cognitive behavioural therapy who has built a successful practice over the years that he shares with his two young protégés, Jimmy and Gabby. Fiercely independent, Phil has recently been diagnosed with Parkinson's, which forces him out of his comfort zone as he grapples with intrusive friends, his estranged family and legacy. Sounds pretty cool. Sounds interesting. Yeah, this has got me. Bill Lawrence has obviously done a bunch of really good TV. Ted Lasso, I enjoy the fact that a lot of this is the same writing team as Ted Lasso. Just seems like, yeah, this fits. They've had a therapist character on Ted Lasso, one of the latest seasons, and I can imagine some of this has potentially come from writing that character. So, yeah, up for this. I am fascinated by how they managed to convince Harrison Ford to be in this <laughs> and how that character is going to work in there. I just think of present-day Harrison Ford and I go, in a comedy? <laughs> Question mark. But maybe that blunt, sarcastic, dry wit will fit perfectly in the show and I would love to know how they convinced him. Yeah, other than money, which he doesn't really need. Obviously money, but I have the feeling that Harrison Ford is at the point of his life where he doesn't care about that either. And then they released that image of Indiana Jones at Star Wars Celebration. It's like when you go to those the Star Wars music nights with a live orchestra and they play the Superman theme. Okay, why is this here? We've rehearsed this and we know it, so we're playing it. <laughs> Basically, yeah. So there's that. There's just a picture of Indiana Jones that you can look at. It's just the hat and whatever, it's iconic. Anyway, moving on. We have Quantum Leap has been ordered to series by NBC. It's a sequel to the NBC series of the same name, and it will centre on Dr. Ben Soong, a new character played by Raymond Lee, who is described as a world-renowned physicist and a man of faith. 30 years after Sam Beckett stepped into the Quantum Leap accelerator and vanished, a new team has been assembled to restart the project in the hopes of understanding the mysteries behind the machine and the man who created it. The cast includes Ernie Hudson, Caitlin Bassett, Nanrissa Lee and Mason Alexander Park and that's about it. They're making a full series out of this, which is no surprise. Once again, sharpen your pitchforks. I have never watched fully Quantum Leap. I haven't seen much of it. I've seen odds and ends of Quantum Leap and I'm aware of the concept and bits and pieces just through everywhere where it's popped up essentially. But yeah, it seems like one that they would want to reboot. I imagine there are people screaming going, no, <laughs> leave it alone. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. Yeah, calling it now, Scott Bakula will turn up probably in the first season finale. <laughs> but it won't be in the way you think. What will happen is they'll do a leap into a point where Sam Beckett is around before he joined the programme or something like that. Mm. That's my prediction. We'll see though. We'll watch it, maybe. We'll see what's happening at the time. Next up, 20th Century Studios developing a reboot of The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen for Hulu. 
It took them long enough. The last attempt at this was a film released by Fox in 2003 based on the comic book series of the same name. It's basically literary figures, but as the Avengers. It's essentially it. So you got like Tom Sawyer, Alan Quatermain and so on. It was Sean Connery's last live-action movie as well. And everybody hated it. Except me. I quite liked it, actually. I thought it was all right. Multiple attempts at a reboot have been made in the past. One conceived as a female-centric take. They've thus far been to no avail. This is happening, and we'll see what novel characters they adapt once again. I've got to say, I'm with you. I enjoyed it. It was hokum, but it was fun hokum. At no point was it going, now you will take this very seriously. (laughs) was full-blown over the top and I was kind of there for it. So I'm keen to see them have a go at this. I'm surprised it took them this long because the Avengers, but with famous characters from novels, seems like a quick win that someone could get. Yeah, I don't know if it's the rights tied up to something else or if it's because of the legacy of that film where people go, that was the film that made Sean Connery quit. (laughs) (laughs) Could have done Lord of the Rings, did this. Yeah, exactly. Maybe that's why, but yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you. Why have they not adapted this or done something with it since even like a TV type thing? Next up, we have some casting for Percy Jackson and the Olympians. It was previously announced that Walter Scoble, who was young Ryan Reynolds in The Adam Project, he's Percy. They also announced this week that Leah Sava Jeffries, who was in Empire, will play Annabeth. Aryan Simhadri will play Grover, and that's about it. The three roles were previously played by Logan Lerman, Alexandra Daddario, and Brandon T. Jackson. I don't really know much about the Percy Jackson movies. I think I saw the first one, but I didn't think much of it, so who knows. But there's an audience for this. There was at least two of them. I think I've seen the first one, and then I think the second one I've caught when it's been getting shown on something like Film 4 or on a TV channel at Christmas or one of those sort of Sunday afternoon movie-type <laughs> things. And I've caught bits of it. I don't think I've ever watched it all the way through. Casting-wise, yeah, seems like an okay cast. The only person that I've seen out of that lineup that they've got there is Walker Scoble in The Adam Project. He did all right in that, but he was a Ryan Reynolds fan playing Ryan Reynolds, so it'll be interesting to see how he plays a different character. Yeah. Moving on, we have Ming-Na Wen and... Isai Morales joined Brianna Hildebrand and Jeffrey Morris sci-fi thriller Persephone. Morris' first feature follows refugees from a dying Earth, oh, another one of those, who are travelling aboard an enormous space vessel called Odyssey. Their destination is Proxima B, a planet orbiting the nearest star. When a crew is dispatched to repair a shield designed to protect their colony from deadly solar flares, a computer malfunction causes them to crash land on the alien planet. The crew then discover that they may not be the only life on this hostile world. A mystery unfolds that may not only derail their mission, but also prevent the colonists from ever setting foot on the planet. It's also going to have a companion novel already. (laughs) Great homework for a film that they're not making. (laughs) That sounds interesting enough. It sounds pretty standard sci-fi fare, to be honest. A bunch of people crashing an alien planet and stuff goes on. But sure, I like Ming-Na Wen. People crash on a planet and things happen. Yeah, Ming-Na Wen, good to see her getting work. Really, really like her. Thought she was wasted in Boba Fett. So hopefully she gets more to do in this. Yeah. Next up, the Quiet Place spin-off gets an official title and it's going to be called A Quiet Place Day One, which is a bit weird because they already depicted Day One in the sequel. But it's going to be telling a different story about a different family, I guess. The spin-off will not feature Emily Blunt's Evelyn Abbott and her family, thus focusing on a different set of characters affected by the global invasion. The problem I have with the Quiet Place series, so there's going to be three parts to the main story, I suppose, which is fine because there's a story you can tell there, but the appeal of A Quiet Place was the fact that it was 
well, maybe not something that nobody had ever seen before, but it stood out because of the concept of they can't hear us at all. Any sound is a threat, that kind of thing. They're just going to keep diluting that concept by just making more and more of them. So it's how do we make we need to stay silent, continually scary? It's going to be a victim of its own success in that way. What I want to see is more high concept horror done well rather than just retreads of this high concept horror that was done well once. I've not seen any of the Quiet Place stuff. It's never really appealed despite the fact that folk have raved about them. I believe the first one was a bit of an experience with everyone scared to eat their snacks in the cinema. Folk that had bought nachos suddenly realised how loud nachos were for the first time in their life. Or they didn't care and just proved that they wouldn't survive. (laughs) Yeah, or they just went for it. I kind of get what you're saying. They're diluting the concept a little bit. They're maybe running it into the ground, potentially, unless they're finding interesting stories to tell. Hopefully it's interesting stories for the people to like the films, but for me, I've not watched any of the other stuff, and I probably won't watch this one. Okay, let's move on then. Bella Thorne to star in Thriller, St. Clair, from American Psycho Scribe. The project will follow Claire Bleeker, played by Thorne, a quiet Catholic college student with a divine vocation for killing. The story is based on novel Claire at 16 by Don Roth, with its novel sequel out in 2023. That is all it says. That sounds like stuff. Sounds like stuff. <laughs> Very little time. Bella Thorne is a bit of a strange person in real life, as Kat and I discussed previously, because she was linked into something else. So She's a character, but that could be reasonably diverting for when I never watch it. I've got to be honest, it's not jumping on our list for me. That is fair enough. Moving on. Blake Lively to make film directorial debut with adaptation of Brian Lee O'Malley's graphic novel, Seconds. Edgar Wright is also involved. He wrote the script and is producing. Seconds tells the story of Katie Clay, who receives the power to fix her past mistakes via writing them down in a notebook, eating a mushroom and falling asleep. Clay becomes too eager to fix every little aspect of her life, and before long, her newfound ability begins to create new problems that threaten not only to take her further and farther from the life she initially had, but the very fabric of time and space itself. Sounds a bit like the butterfly effect. It sounds like a fascinating concept. It's quite interesting. Oh, you can go back and you can fix a mistake in a conversation, a a blooper that you said, but then if you're constantly doing that for the rest of your life, you're not passing a day, (laughs) ultimately, are you? You're constantly going back trying to fix that one thing that you didn't quite do right. Sounds quite interesting. The lesson is embrace the mistakes, I suppose. Like, this podcast is completely unedited. It's perfect. It is. On the first go. We speak perfectly. Blake Lively made her directorial debut with a Taylor Swift video, I Bet You Think About Me, it was called. Next up, Adam Driver, Natalie Emmanuel, to star in Francis Ford Coppola's Megalopolis. I'm sure this will be cinema. (laughs) The logline for the film reads, The fate of Rome haunts a modern world unable to solve its own social problems in this epic story of political ambition, genius and conflicted love. Coppola is independently producing the movie, which is budgeted at just under $100 Coppola talked to THR, The Hollywood Reporter, about self-funding the project at 50th anniversary event for The Godfather, saying, There's a certain way everyone thinks a film should be, and it rubs against the grain if you have another idea. People can be very unaccepting, but sometimes the other idea represents what's coming in the future. That is worthy of being considered. So he said some stuff, and... He's financed this himself, so this could be interesting. Obviously passionate about it in order to fund yes. it to that extent. I wish I had a hundred million to throw about to make yeah. a film. <laughs> <laughs> Forrest Whitaker, Lawrence Fishburne and John Voight are also going to be in it. Strong cast, potentially interesting idea, social problems. The fate of Rome, interesting. As in, is it about to collapse? Is society about to collapse? Who knows? Hmm. Speaking of 
more directing happening. Elizabeth Banks to direct thriller Cocaine Bear, inspired by true story of an animal who overdosed on drug. <laughs> it's not as funny as you might think. A wild real-life story involving a 175-pound bear who ate a duffel bag filled with 70 pounds of smuggled cocaine in Kentucky back in 1985. The bear later died of an overdose from the narcotic, which was dropped by smuggler Andrew Thornton as he was parachuting off a plane. According to a New York Times article at the time, the bear was found among 40 open plastic containers with traces of the drug. The movie counts on Lego Movie's Oscar-winning duo Phil Lord and Chris Miller as producers, based on a spec by Jimmy Warden. Banks is also producing the film. So is this going to be a comedy? It sounds pretty grim. It sounds grim for a comedy, but it depends on what spin they're doing, if they're going further from the real story. Based on actual events, there once was a bear that was on cocaine. (laughs) Might be about as much as they take from it or not. All I'm interested in is who's going to play the bear? Oscar Isaac. Oscar Isaac as bear. Speaking of being on cocaine, someone had to be to come up with this idea. Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. Basically what happened is Winnie the Pooh became public record this year. I think. So it means that anybody can make a film about the original character created by A.A. Milne, and someone has. And it's not very Disney. It's going to be a slasher film involving a demonic poo and piglet killing people. And there's pictures of it that very much speak for themselves. They're pretty ridiculous and horrifying. For example, one of them is a girl relaxing in a jacuzzi with poo and piglet ominously standing nearby. She's having a good time and then poo and piglet appear behind her, chloroform her, take her out of the jacuzzi, and then kind of drive a car over her head. It's scary, but there's also funny bits because there's shots of Winnie the Pooh in a car and seeing him with his little ears behind the wheel and slowly going over there to kill her. Fair play to them for managing to figure out that, oh, by the way, it becomes public domain in that year. (laughs) Let's get filming. This seems weird. I've got to be honest, no, I ain't watching it, (laughs) but fair play. We'll see what Andrew thinks of it. He's a horror guy. He'll love it. I'm sure Andrew will love it. Or maybe he'll hate it. No, this seems up Andrew's street. You can never tell with Andrew. Sometimes things he might like. Remember after Brightburn when we went to see that and he was like, that was awful. I want you to like it, but I hate it. <laughs> Not only that, we had to go all the way to Falkirk. Anyway, did. different story for another day. <laughs> road trip to Falkirk. Road trip to Falkirk. <laughs> Half an hour down the road or whatever. The Hunger Games prequel is happening. It's going to be called Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. It takes place decades before the adventures of Katniss Everdeen and centers on young Coriolanus Snow who eventually becomes the tyrannical president. But in The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, he's no bark and no bite. As an 18-year-old, Snow is chosen to mentor Lucy Gray Baird, the girl tribute from impoverished District 12 during the 10th Hunger Games. Katniss did not come around until the 74th Hunger Games, so that gives you an idea of timelines. And since we've had a little bit of casting, the young president Snow has been cast. Tom Blythe, you'll be playing young president, not president, Snow, who was, of course, played by Donald Sutherland, the original one. I can't say I'm all that interested in The Hunger Games. I know Cat loves them, and especially loves the films, so fair enough. Yeah, I know the films and the books were quite popular. I thought the films were all right. They kicked off yet another realm. Twilight kicked off the realm of Everyone's a Vampire. Hunger Games kicked off that particular team protagonist going into an arena sort of stuff where we ended up with Maze Runner and all those sort of films and Divergent and all that sort of stuff all kicked off from Hunger Games. I do wonder if this is coming a bit late, missed the wave, and is there interest in seeing the origins of that character? Quite often you sit there and go, do I want to see the origins of a villain? Do I want to sit and watch that? Is this planned to be multiple films leading up to seeing their point of view? I don't know. It doesn't appeal to me. 
really. But maybe for fans of the stuff, it might be something that I'll catch up on later, but I wouldn't be running off to see it at the cinema. I don't think. Yeah, or it could just be, how do we make more Hunger Games, but without doing the Hunger Games again? We'll be doing the Hunger Games again because they'll depict the 10th Hunger Games. So it is just essentially doing the same again. Well, exactly. You get to do the Hunger Games, but you get to do stuff from before and you'll get to throw in other characters that you've seen and odd references to stuff to try and get people excited. Okay, moving on. This is some stuff that you might like. A double whammy of Junish news. Johan Rink, the Emmy Award winner behind HBO series Chernobyl, is to direct the first two episodes of June the Sisterhood. The series, which serves as a prequel to the films, was originally handed a straight-to-series order in 2019 by HBO Max. At the time, Denis Villeneuve, who directed and produced 2021 film June Part 1, was set to direct the pilot. However, Renk, who is currently finishing up his sci-fi feature film Spaceman with Adam Sandler, Carrie Mulligan and Paul Dano, will take over the mantle and will also exact produce. June the Sisterhood, which is based on Frank Herbert's classic novel, set 10,000 years before the ascension of Paul Atreides, and follows the Harkonnen sisters as they combat forces that threaten the future of humankind and establish the fabled sect known as the Bene Gesserit. There you go. Interested? I kind of am, actually. I think it's an interesting time period, because like you say, it's 10,000 years before, so it's away from what you're used to. I've been slowly working my way through the June series of books and by slowly working my way through i've read two <laughs> that's two more than everybody that claims they've read them has read <laughs> yeah i've read two of them of late i've got children of the dune sitting there waiting to be read this sounds quite interesting actually the setting up of that ben jesserit order that's an interesting little story to go off and do i'm curious i probably will give it a little watch i really enjoyed dune mm-hmm. it was really well shot yes it was long and yes it was very much a first film and i have rallied against that in the past on this podcast where i've went god damn it with these first films pretending that they're going to get a second film and june very much is reliant on the fact that it's going to get a second film yeah it's long and it's only half of the story Yeah, it's long and we've not finished. But it is one of those epic tales. I think it's one of those books that is very difficult to distill down to a single film. Yeah. I think you end up missing lots of key plot points and motivation when you do that. Even if you did an overly long film, I still don't think you would fit it in there. And I would rather that they had enough room to make it the big space epic that it is, rather than trying to fit key little plot points in there. Other June news, Christopher Walken has nabbed the plum role of Emperor Shaddam IV in June Part 2. Walken will play the ruler of the known universe, who initially sends the Atreides family to Arrakis in order to cause their downfall. In the continuation, he and the Baron terrorise the populace and must contend with the rebellion. My issue with this casting is I find it difficult to see Christopher Walken as a character. I usually just see Christopher Walken, and the thing that works with June for me is the actor's... All right, you've got like Jason Momoa and so on, who has a bit of a personality in and for himself. But for the most part, you see the actors as the characters are playing, whereas suddenly if Christopher Walken walks on, then I might be lifting out a little bit. I don't think I have that same thing with him, maybe, that you do. I think this is a good bit of casting. got an amazing cast for these Dune films. They're a ridiculous cast that they've managed to pull together for it. So he seems like a good addition. He was also very good in Severance. When you talk about surprising people turning up in TV stuff, him popping up in that was a surprise. June casting-wise, I think he fits. He seems of reasonable stature to be a manipulative emperor. I'm kind of interested in seeing it, definitely. They've already got me there for June 2. Yeah, June part 2. June part 2. Too fast to be June or whatever it's going to be called. Okay, moving on. Hayden Panisier, if that's how you pronounce her name, I never found out. 
will reprise her Scream 4 role of Kirby Reed for the next instalment in the franchise. She's set to star alongside Melissa Barrera, Jasmine Savoy-Brown, Mason Gooding and Jenna Ortega, who top-lined a recent reboot of the franchise. She was the lone survivor in Scream 4, and she's going to be in this. I know that was rumoured before when there was the news of the next Scream film so it's good that they've confirmed that she's coming back on i don't like her and stuff when she pops up but i've not been a big one for the scream films you might like them because they're satirical horror rather than legitimate horror yeah i've watched a few of them but they're not one that i've kept up with big one for angus i'll need to ask him what he thinks of her coming back i'm sure he'll be thrilled moving on frank grillo has signed on to star in the thriller the dagon not the dragon, the dagon, from director Brad Anderson. The film centres on Jack, played by Grillo, a father looking to control his family's isolated rural life. When his eldest daughter comes of age, the family must confront the dagon, the terrifying deadly creatures that surround them every night. This film sounds like an autocorrect mistake and then they just roll with it. <laughs> yeah, he's fighting a fantasy creature. A dragon? No, no, a dagon. What's that? Looks like a dragon. Yeah, it looks like a dragon. You may think that I just typed it wrong on my iPhone, but genuinely, this is what I've did. Not much to say about it, it's just, it looks like a thing. I like Frank Grillo, though. Yeah, I think this is the one, I knew that for one of these things, I'd written in the article that we're linking to, these are some of the most generic statements about films I've ever read in my life, (laughs) which is that everyone that's made it has went, this is a story that needed to be told. This is a film for all time. We loved working on this. (laughs) Most by-the-numbers press release press quotes that were included in this article we've always believed that stories like this should be on film and we are now getting to make it is <laughs> the sub point that i put on this yeah next up forrest gump stars tom hanks and robin wright to reunite in new movie here it's an adaptation of the graphic novel by richard mcguire hanks and wright will also reunite with forrest gump director robert zemeckis and screenwriter eric roth here is described as a breathtaking revolutionary odyssey through time and memory the innovative story is centered around a place in new england where from wilderness and then later a home love loss struggle hope and legacy play out between couples and families over generations so as i understand it it's the same location but across millions of years picks up at different points so it's where the house is effectively but it can go back millions of years or go to the future and things Hmm. yeah sounds fascinating tom hanks is good in anything therefore this will be good yeah there we go that's the tom hanks guarantee of tom hanksness yeah this one there's not too much to say on it really ryan gosling shooty gatwa and simu leo will all be playing different versions of ken in the barbie movie sounds like they're really going to be tackling the whole concept of image and what these dolls mean to people and how dated they might be and things like that so the idea that you've got three different versions of ken and each of them are equally as valid as the others at least on the surface quite interesting yeah i know pretty much nothing about this apart from it's based on barbie other than half of hollywood is in it apparently half of hollywood is in it it's margot robbie in the thing good seeing shruti gatwa in there as well doctor who weren't the only people to name him the interesting bit in that article was that they flag it up going notably this movie will open against christopher nolan's sprawling ensemble film oppenheimer (laughs) i love the fact that barbie and oppenheimer have the same opening weekend that appeals to me for some reason i don't know it's as if we have to choose one yeah there could be only one you're not allowed to go to both you must choose. Choose wisely. <laughs> yeah, I've got both. Why not? Apparently someone has said that they are not using Barbie Girl in the yes. film, which I think is a waste of a perfectly good song. Someone has decreed it. I don't know if they were going to charge too much to have Barbie Girl. Aqua are sitting there like, come on, we need the royalties. No one's heard of us in years. Yeah. So who's holding Sick out? Sick of playing nightclubs in Ibiza. I'm assuming that's what they do. 
it seems like you could just get a weird acoustic version in there on a guitar or something. Maybe in the first trailer there'll be a melancholy cover of it. Yes, there you go. You got it in one. Melancholy Barbie girl cover. Yep. <laughs> Add it to the bingo card. The first look is incredibly pink. It is very pink. Looking forward to it. It's probably going to be good fun. Yeah. Margot Robbie's been fun in a lot of the stuff. You know, obviously, I've seen her mainly in Harley Quinn and bits like that. But yeah, yeah I imagine this is going to be quite good fun. Yeah. Still on Margot Robbie news, the Suicide Squad star has been tapped to join a new Ocean's Eleven film, which is reportedly a prequel to the original, or not the original, the remake. It's known to be an original Ocean's Eleven that is set in Europe in the 1960s. It's not really a prequel, I suppose. It's just another Ocean's Eleven. So is this meant to be with characters tying back? It doesn't say it. Kind of a similar concept, but... They're just going to do another heist movie called Ocean's Eleven and Margot Robbie's going to be in it. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. And still in Margot Robbie news, Tobey Maguire is going to play Charlie Chaplin in Damien Chazelle's upcoming film Babylon. It also has Brad Pitt as silent film actor John Gilbert and Margot Robbie as Clara Bow, an iconic actress who successfully transitioned into talkies and was known as the It Girl of Hollywood. It's been known that Chazelle's next film will cover 1920s Hollywood, so these castings are not too much of a surprise. Babylon could also mark the start of a strong partnership between the director and Tobey Maguire, as the latter is also a producer of the film. So... After Spider-Man, he's like, I'm doing this. Samara Weaving's also in it. Catherine Waterston, other people. Spike Jones. Yeah, he's been missing for a while. It's good to have him back. Seems like an interesting choice for him to do. So definitely up for that. Yeah. Got to be honest, do not know much about Charlie Chaplin. Just know that he had a Hitler moustache and was in silent films. Not so much Hitler moustache, but you sort of know the odd bits of silent movies that you've seen played out elsewhere. Got a couple of bits of video game news coming up. It's been announced that Horizon Zero Dawn and Gran Turismo will be the latest PlayStation series to be adapted into television series. Horizon Zero Dawn makes sense because it is a rich world with a great mythology and backstory and so forth. I haven't finished playing even the first game yet. And it's quite funny, the first time I saw this news, the article had a picture of Rose Leslie in the header. People are already fan casting. Yeah, she has red hair and has been in fantasy stuff. So let her do that. <laughs> Doesn't matter if she wants to. Bundle her in the van. Just send the van round, as usual. Horizon Zero Dawn series been nabbed by Netflix, while the Gran Turismo series is yet to find a distributor. Both series are currently in early development. It was also confirmed that the upcoming God of War series will be distributed through Prime Video. Do you know anything about the Horizon Zero Dawn game? There's two of them. I know little bits that I've seen, but I don't have a PlayStation to play those ones. Similar with God of War as well. I know sort of concepts of them, but I haven't really played them. I've seen some playthroughs of God of War, for example, but it seems that there's a search for property for people to film now. You've got lots of different bits and pieces that are getting picked up, and it seems like anyone that's got any form of intellectual property is being hit up for TV and film rights now. So it doesn't surprise me that popular games like that are ripe for adaptation. Yeah, although Gran Turismo, it's just a racing movie, isn't it? Why does it need to be based on a video game? I suppose it's for brand recognition, I guess. We could just do any TV thing based on racing or struggling to get somewhere or anything like that any sort of road movie type thing but if we put a brand next to it suddenly it's got recognition sony in particular seem to be hell-bent on making video game to something adaptations and i don't think many of them are going to be really that good horizon has real potential because that world is much more than the lead character that inhabits it as far as i'm aware i didn't get all the way through it like i said but i got enough into it to just be interested in the mythology it's huge and i don't have a lot of time that's the problem yeah it's 
a fantastical world and with the modern CG and everything that they can do, I can imagine it would look visually quite interesting, which is what would make that maybe stand out a little bit more than something like Gran Turismo. Yeah, so we'll see how that pans out. Netflix making it could go either way. Still on video game adaptations, we've had some news on this before, but Twisted Metal, which is a game I haven't really played, I'm aware of it and don't know that much more about it, but Neve Campbell has joined the Twisted Metal series adaptation at Peacock. She joins the previously announced cast members Anthony Mackie, Stephanie Beatrice and Thomas Hayden Church. The half-hour action comedy show A Mortarmouth Outsider, played by Anthony Mackie, is offered a chance at a better life, but only if he can successfully deliver a mysterious package across a post-apocalyptic wasteland with the help of a trigger-happy car thief, played by Beatrice. He will face savage marauders driving vehicles of destruction and other dangers of the open road, including a deranged clown, oh god, who drives an all-too-familiar ice cream truck. Campbell will appear in the recurring guest star role as Raven, most likely a version of the Twisted Metal character of the same name introduced in Twisted Metal Black. Basically sounds very Mad Max-esque. Which is probably what the game was based on, anyway. Yeah, Mad Max v Wacky Races. <laughs> Let's go with that. Next up, Pixar's next movie is going to be called Elemental, which will hit theatres on June 16th. What? Like this month? And <laughs> they're only just showing us concept next art. Next year. I googled that. When I read the article, I was like, what? Why not say June 16th, 2023 then? Deadline. Released exclusively in theatres on June 16th, 2024. Well, there you go. And then there's a picture of water-based and fire-based. So elemental. Yeah, inside out, but with elements, I guess. That's probably doing it a disservice, but that's what they're tackling now. They're going to give us some kind of elements story. Key wording in there, cinema release. Yes. They're going to release a Pixar film in the cinema. Not connected to Toy Story. Yeah, not connected to Toy Story. Finally, they're going to put Pixar back on the big screen again. It seems such a shame that so many of the Pixar stuff recently has just been thrown on Disney Plus as a little boost for their subscriptions around about Christmas and whatnot. You want to watch the new Pixar? Get Disney Plus. In fairness with Soul, there was a pandemic at the time. Yeah, for Soul there was, but some of the other stuff that they've put on, you could have found a space for this in the theatrical schedule. Yeah, Turning Red should have been out in the cinema. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Once things have moved on a bit. I'm like you, I kind of agree with Soul, but... Moving on, Godzilla vs. Kong 2, Dan Stevens reunites with the guest director Adam Wingard on Legendary Sequel. Basically, they're doing a Godzilla vs. Kong sequel, which we reported on at some point before. Plot details are being kept under wraps. What plot details? Godzilla and Kong might fight and people will stand around in sterile-looking rooms full of screens talking about it. That's what these films are. That's all they are. Boring. I don't know if you watch Godzilla vs. Kong yet, but God... It's a tough watch. It's really crap. No, I haven't watched Godzilla vs. Kong. I think you pretty much summed it up when you said if you could just fast forward to the bit where the two of them fight. (laughs) So you need... I always find it weird in these films. They spend so long on the really rubbish character stuff that's going on that isn't really well developed and then they just go okay and now they fight it's fine if you're going to give me an interesting human story but they never have not in any of these films so when will they learn Dan Stevens we like him from Legion and Adam Wingard he I suppose he did okay in the last one I don't know we also like him from his one show appearance but that's by the by oh yes that one that went viral yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) mm-hmm Anyway, moving on from that, Godzilla vs. Kong couldn't be less excited because the only one I liked was Kong Skull Island because it actually gave me something to latch on to in terms of just silliness and stuff, whereas the other one take themselves too seriously. Anna de Armas is going to be leading a John Wick spin-off called Ballerina. The film has been directed by Underworld's Len Wiseman from a screenplay by Shea Hatton, who's known for John Wick Chapter 3, Parabellum, and, oh God, 
Army of the Dead. The story will follow a female assassin played by Armas who is out for revenge against the people who killed her family. Not her dog or her cat or something, but her family. So she's avenging humans, which is disappointing, really. I quite like the simplicity of the concept of someone killed John Wick's dog and he's going to kill everyone in his way. Anyone that's associated with any of the people that killed his dog are going down. Family works too, I suppose. <laughs> Diarmas' character made a small appearance in Parabellum as a young ballerina who, at the time, was also training to become an assassin. I like the John Wick franchise. Anna Diarmas can do no wrong at the moment, it seems. And if we can't get our James Bond spin-off, we can get this. Yeah, I'm kind of with you on that. Sounds interesting. It's good to get a little spin-off like this. Yeah. Moving on, Hawkeye director Reese Thomas to helm Sony's Robotech adaptation. Based on the popular 80s anime TV series, Robotech is set in a time when Earth has developed giant robots from the technology of an alien spacecraft that crashed on a South Pacific island and now is using the technology to fight off an impending alien invasion. Sounds a bit like Pacific Rim, but with aliens. South Pacific Island Rim. (laughs) Pacific Rim with aliens. You had to be at giant robots. You then say fighting off alien invasion, you now have me. I'll watch it and probably love it, as long as it's not full of people I don't care about in rooms full of screens talking about robots fighting giant aliens. The robot does not appear until the final episodes. They spend the whole time assembling it. Yep. Yeah. That's it. It's talking about the negotiations of building the robots. It's negotiating the contracts, like the scaffolding, in order for them to build the robots. (laughs) Here's a bit of a blast from the past in terms of tactics here. Wicked, the movie adaptation directed by John M. Chu, based on the musical of the same name, has revealed that Wicked will be split into two parts, meaning that fans and newcomers will have two Christmas presents that are set to be released a year apart from each other. And the film studio will have... Two Christmas presents in the form of people having to buy two tickets for one story. Which probably means, <laughs> as these things go, bugger all will happen in the first movie and the second movie will be everything happening. That's how these things go, in it? Yeah, pretty much. I always just hear the cash drawer going when you hear this thing that probably could be done in one film is now being done in two. What I said about Dune being quite a big space epic, you need to split it into two to do it well. I don't see that being the case for Wicked. No, but the stage show is like two hours. The stage show's there, it manages to hit the beat so what are you throwing in there to build it out to being two films? That doesn't seem necessary. The eternal question. The thing about Dune is it's that sprawling epic, as you said. Yeah. There's no reason that you can't do these for creative reasons, but they're never done for creative reasons. So splitting the final Harry Potter book into two films seemed to make sense because the thing is about a million pages long. But then when you actually watch the films, it's, oh, good, the first film is where they don't do very much. They ponce about in the woods for two hours. And then when they did the second part, it's, let's rush through the rest of the story because we have all of the story to tell now. And Hunger Games was the same. Let's piss about in bunkers for a couple of hours and then we'll quickly rush through the rest of the story after that. I don't see this being any different. Yeah, like you say, it can be done for good creative reasons, but quite often it is, oh, now we've got to just put a bunch of filler into film one because we're going to run out of plot. We're not going to have anything for film two, so we need to delay getting to the right moment to have a bit of suspense before going into We Will Return with the second bit in a year's time. (laughs) We're going to sit on this. It's filmed. It's done. It's sitting there waiting to make the money. (laughs) And in terms of casting, this is something I didn't know, but it's probably been out for a while. Wicked Witch of the West will be played by Ariana Grande and Cynthia Erivo will be playing Galinda the Good Witch. Both good vocalists, so... Yeah. Yeah, if you like that sort of thing. Moving on, arrival writer Eric Hissera. I can't do the pronunciation, but never mind. He's going to be producing an adaptation of 
1991 story Division by Zero, whose rights have been picked up by Luma Features. Division by Zero, which originally appeared in Full Spectrum 3 magazine, tells of what happens when math doesn't add up anymore. Once a professor of mathematics discovers that 1 equals 0, the revelation upends the universal foundation of math and society, and ultimately the foundation of her relationship with her husband. <laughs> You lost me at math. Yeah. <laughs> the one thing that stands out to me, and I haven't read the original story, but how do you pull that off? How do you explain why the number one is now zero? How do you explain that in a way that's in any way interesting? Yeah, it seems like one of these parody film trailers that you would get. Like something in College Humour. It would be something on College Humour, or it makes me think of, it's not something that I watch a lot, but Limmy, there's an explainer thing of a pound of bricks and a pound of feathers and boy the two things that's all i can picture with this is just someone suddenly figuring it out honey why can you not sleep tonight one equals <laughs> how many pancakes do you want this morning honey i want three but that's too many <laughs> there's more than three pancakes on my plate i don't know it just seems like a parody thing i don't get it but maybe it's very very good i'm assuming with the fact that it's being adapted that there is good reason there's something there and people that adapt stuff for some reason i trust yeah <laughs> we'll see next up 20th century studios and development of the first omen a prequel to the original 1976 fox movie the omen with legion and briar patch episodic director arkasha stevenson making her feature directorial debut doesn't really say anything about what it'll be but the omen i thought the first omen as in the film that was released called the omen was the first omen because he's a child so is this going to be the previous son of satan <laughs> Before the son of Satan, there was the other son of Satan. Son of Satan. <laughs> In a time before the son of Satan, <laughs> it seems odd. Yeah, it does not appeal. I've got to say, it's one of those ones where folk are going, "What have we got the rights to? We've got the rights to the Omen. What will we do with this?" Let's just remake it, but call it a prequel. I think that's what they're going at here. People will get annoyed with us if we call it a remake. We'll call it a prequel. Excellent. <laughs> well done. They will never figure this out. Yep. It's like when we did the Thing prequel. We called it the Thing, and it was essentially the same story. Do you think they'll cotton on? No. No way they'll cotton on. No one will notice. The Thing prequel's actually okay, and it is actually a prequel. It's about the Norwegian team that are featured in the first film in a very small and very dead role. Apparently, this next one, after a competitive auction... Anna Purna Pictures has landed the rights to turn Rachel Yoder's upcoming debut novel. Here's another one. We're adapting a novel that isn't out yet. Night Bitch, it's called, into a feature film with Amy Adams to star. Yoder will pen the screenplay as well as the novel and executive produce the project alongside... <laughs> Hang on. This book isn't out yet. Presumably she's written it. and Now she's just going to write a script based on the book that she already wrote that hasn't released yet. Anyway, the Night Bitch novel explores motherhood via a darkly comedic portrayal of an unnamed woman and former artist thrust into stay-at-home domesticity after the birth of her son. The parents become increasingly worried and convinced that their baby girl may be turning into a dog. That's not where I expected that sentence to go. <laughs> For clarity on these news podcasts, I don't always read the entirety of the news items before <laughs> I talk about them. So sometimes I'm reading a sentence and I'm like, okay. That's a surprise. It's quite good, actually, because I end up just reacting to it in real time. He changed the words on his auto cue. <laughs> it's exactly like that. So you listeners get to hear me react in real time to some of this, or most of this, because I just see the article headings and think, yeah, I'll stick that on the list. And then I read it and I'm like, okay, so there's concerns over this woman is becoming a dog, hence the bitch part of it. And the name werewolf was already taken, yes, I guess. Yes, I find this fascinating i get people bidding over the rights to books that have been immensely 
popular and have got on bestsellers lists and got a cult following and have been out for years and how can your debut novel not even released yet be auctioned off (laughs) before anyone's even had the chance to read it do you release it at the same time as the film do you just do it both at once (laughs) who gets to go first does the film get to come out first or does the book get to come out first do you do double deals if you turn up to the cinema you you can buy the book and the ticket i don't understand fair play to rachel yoder for managing to somehow sell the rights and the book at the same time before they're being written fair game i have got many books to sell so auction away everyone i will come up with the idea on the spur of the moment but bidding starts at a million dollars I'd like you to adapt to my novel that I've honestly written. Honestly, I've written a book and there is a lot of interest in it. (laughs) What's it about, Chris? Oh, it's uh, about new parents? Oh, that sounds very generic. Yeah, but it turns weird. What way does it turn weird? Well, they think she's turning into a dog? We'll buy it. (laughs) (laughs) Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. This sounds potentially fun. I don't know what else to say about it. I genuinely don't know. I kind of cry a little bit for authors who have spent years working on their masterpiece and will never sell it and people might never read it, but somehow, out of nowhere, Night Bitch becomes a thing. (laughs) We've talked about that before and books that aren't out yet that have somehow got film adaptations in it. You get people that will skip the book entirely because there's going to be a film adaptation. Because you get people that's like, nah, if it's worth anything, they'll make a film. I know people that are like that, and I don't read as much recreationally as I used to. So yeah, I would tend to wait for the film adaptation or I hear about it based on a book. For example, The Time Traveler's Wife. I saw the film and thought, I really like this concept, but the execution was pretty sloppy. So then I read the book and Silver Linings Playbook. For some reason, I read the book before the film came out because I just felt compelled to for some reason. And stuff like this. Night Bitch comes out as a novel. Am I just going to go and see the film instead? Probably, to be honest. Yeah. But in other news, this is an adaptation of a book that is out. It's a book called The Ivory, and it's being adapted into a half-hour comedy series. In the show, world's largest tech company merges with the planet's dominant e-commerce site, creating the richest and most dangerous, and oddly enough, the most beloved monopoly ever known, The Ivory. In this equally terrifying and hilarious cautionary tale, Dave Eggers shows us the increasing cost of the frictionless life that technology enables. Nothing described herein that actually happened, though much of it likely will. And what better a starting point Mm. for an HBO comedy script? There we go. That sounds interesting. Dave Eggers wrote a book called The Circle, which was turned into a film I think that went on Netflix starring Emma Watson. The Circle was actually a really good book. I was a bit disappointed in the adaptation. It was one of those where I think the book covered areas better than the film did. The film cut out tons of plot and things that I thought would have been more interesting to be explored. They also tweaked the ending, which I wasn't happy about either. It was a bit weird the way that they did that. I have not read the every but considering i like the circle by dave eggers i might give it a chance then might try and read it actually considering our previous conversation well it's there it exists it's already out you could buy it it's and there read it. it exists i could pick it up already before the comedy series goes but yeah like i said if you get the chance the circle it's kind of a similar line it's based on a social media company that has basically swallowed up all other social media companies ingested their database their pictures and everything basically everyone is registered to the circle and it's a person that starts as a recruit within the company's 
division doing tech support and assistance and then things turn sinister. Like I say, the film is out there if you want to do that, or the book is out there and it is better. Okay. I will definitely give this a try when it comes on. It sounds interesting to see that dark comedy aspect of it, this all-encompassing social media empire. <laughs> it was great to see really depressing real-life stuff that's about to happen put in half-hour comedy shows. Someone on social media put up a post and it's circulated several times. It's the novelist sitting there going, I wrote my book, The Torment Nexus, as a cautionary tale about technology and why something should never be built. And then it's a tech company a few years later going, finally, we've been able to create The Torment (laughs) Nexus from the famous book, Never Create The Torment (laughs) (laughs) Nexus. Shouldn't have written that book. Never should have written the book. Our penultimate news item is one that is barely news. Sony has greenlit a Ghostbusters Afterlife sequel. No details are official just yet on this sequel. It was announced during CinemaCon. It's currently unknown if director Jason Reitman will return, although it is likely. Of course, this shouldn't come as a total surprise, as Reitman previously stated that his 2021 soft reboot sets the table for future films in the series, and now he'll get to do that can't say I'm all that interested in this because I didn't like Afterlife. Do I want more? No. Can we just leave Ghostbusters as one film that was pretty good in the 80s? It seems like that's the best thing for it to this point. I have not seen Ghostbusters Afterlife. I might catch it at some point, but yeah, it, it does seem like one of those things of, it ain't broke, don't try and fix it, leave it alone. Yeah. Last bit of news, Samuel L. Jackson has signed on to star alongside Chris Pratt in the animated Garfield film. Jackson will play a brand new character, Garfield's father, Vic. So this is happening. Remember Chris Pratt just voicing everybody? Mario, Garfield, everyone. That's everyone, right? There's no one else. I think that's every character, yeah. Cool. Samuel L. Jackson in films. It's hardly news. He does that a lot. He doesn't appear in a lot of films. He does appear in a lot. The thing that I didn't know about this is it's from the same director of Emperor's New Groove, which is one of my favourite films. It's something I haven't seen. How dare you? That's the one thing that's going to get me getting my pitchfork out. (laughs) (laughs) Finally, I achieved it. Finally, Chris has got the pitchfork out. Pushed him over the edge. Mission accomplished. Samuel L. Jackson being in this doesn't surprise me much. The fact that that article then led me to find out that this is by the person that did Emperor's New Groove, I'm like, now you have my interest. Something was accomplished. Something was accomplished. By the end of this podcast, something. Something. Just was something. accomplished. That was it. We did it. That's our final news item. And I'm not even going to check the internet to see if anything else turned up. We'll catch it next month if it turns up. Because that was quite enough. That was possibly our biggest list yet. In fact, definitely our biggest list yet. So that was it. We did it. That's everything that was announced in May. All the trailers, all the news, everything. Chris, thank you for this extended conversation about stuff that comes out, some of which we might even watch. Definitely some of it. Definitely some of it. Thank you to Neil Stenson for the supplied music. Please hit that subscribe button on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you get your podcasts, you can subscribe. Most, or at least some apps let you rate an app but chris what kind of a rating would we like we would like all of the five stars please every single one of those five stars please mash that five star button and then mash it again but then mash it a third time because if you mash it twice then the five stars will disappear so do it that third time (laughs) if you want to discuss anything we discussed here or anything else you can hit us up on facebook or twitter under neil before blog or leave us a comment on neilbeforeblog.co.uk and as always we hope you'll join us next time on Neil Before Pot. <laughs>